I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You're listening to the Room 104 podcast. FM 104. Tonight, Andrew Pritchard, a.k.a. the ex-king of cocaine, tells us about his journey from the drugs underworld to now advocating for a drug-free society. We take a look back on one of the glitziest and drama-filled nights of the year, the Oscars Mm. 2022, and find out how pillow fighting is fast becoming the next biggest sport. This is Room 104. FM 104. Hello, Kevin O'Mahony. How are you doing? Hey, good, Trish. <laughs> nice How are and you? formal welcome for you. Yeah, wow. You're you're upbeat at this hour. Well done. Well, you know. How are you doing it? It's Monday. The week has just begun, so we're not going to complain just yet. Okay. No, it's all been good. It's all been good. How was your weekend? The weekend was great. A nice relaxing one. Caught up on a lot of TV shows, which we will definitely be oh, chatting yes. about in a little bit. Finally caught up with Pam and Tommy. Mm-hmm. My God, it was not what I was expecting. I know Rory was in a few weeks ago and he had told us a little bit about it. But when you watch it yourself, like the relationships I now have with Pam Anderson. I it's all, like changed. She, it's all changed. I'm like, wow. I've, I'm seeing in her, her in a completely different light mm. that I just never would have expected. She's, she's, I've softened to her. You know, she's not just a, a kind of patriot glamour model type. You know, she has more than one dimension. Is definitely, that what you're saying? definitely. Maybe I think, two or three. Yeah, the media, I think, changed our image of her back in the day. And mm. sure, look, we will get into that in a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. Well, how was your weekend? Did you get up to much? Did you do anything? Um, yeah, I did a lot uh, with the with the two days. Did you get um, the car fixed? Yeah, no, that's all. That's all. All settled. Okay. All settled. Good. That. And now I'm not using it at all, though. So you're cycling everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Very on, good, on Kev. Saturday, I had to go all the way out to Kilbarrick to get one of those old rotary phones. Remember them? <laughs> what? Yeah, the dial, like, yeah. when you, put, you stick your finger stick in your and finger in. twists. Yeah, you bring it all the way <laughs> over and uh, let, you have to let it go circle all the way back. And then catch it again, again. from the number oh you my. want. Imagine that was our communication system back in the day. My friend had one in her house, a very kind of obviously new retro-y one. Uh It was just a remodel. But I loved using it. Yeah, really? Yeah, this is is quite vintage. Brings you back a little bit. Well, somebody was telling me, uh, because I tried to put in my um, mobile number just to see how long it would take. And it, it took about a minute. <laughs> so you're putting in ten digits. Back then, they only had yeah. about six or five. This is the thing I didn't. I <laughs> didn't remember. My friend then told me that um, she's German, and uh, she, her, her uncle, his phone number was 
three digits long. And we were talking about memory the other day and saying how, oh, we used to remember the phone book. Now that I think about it as well, you're remembering half Way the numbers. Exactly. So how, yeah, it's definitely not the same. So, And you wouldn't have to put in your, your prefix no, if you're living in Ireland. So it's just four digits. Well, if you're calling local... Like if within Dublin you don't need to put in the oh one if you're yeah, already in so Dublin. It's just four so it's just, yeah, it's just four or five and but back in the day might even been could have even been three in three. some in some places. Yeah. So Dumb. on an island or something, there's three of you on it. I'm number three. <laughs> zero zero three. I'm zero zero one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure, we wouldn't even need to call. We yeah. could just shout. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh so I had to go over there um that was in Kilbarrick and uh, so I had to pick that up and I cycled well I put the I put the bike on the dart did and, you? yeah and I cycled were you one of these people like coming on hustling and bustling sorry excuse yeah. me excuse me I've Move got a bike I'm more important <laughs> Oh God! Yeah. Very annoying. Yeah, I'm one of those. I'm one scraping of those. the legs off all the passengers. Yeah, okay. I know. There was and then a buggy came. A couple of buggies came in, but I was holding my spot tight. You know, at the door, I was like, "You ain't getting Wait, this buggy." No, you have to give buggies. Preference. No, you don't. There's nothing you on the do. sign that says you have to give buggies preference. Ah, uh, says wheelchair users, them. older people. Buggies included no, in that. No, if a no, mom no. comes in with her baby and they're in the buggy, yeah, you have to move aside. And bring like my big annoying lady. bike back into the middle of the carriage. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Okay. I was stick- sticking by the side. So where did the buggy go? Just kind of. She was in the middle. <laughs> in, the, in the middle of the chaos. <laughs> you can go there. I'm sure there were people. I I was there scoffing at you yeah. looking at you like how could you no they weren't loving it uh, so yeah so <laughs> I cycled all all around all around town and uh, then yesterday I accidentally ended up in coppers accidentally oh my feet just accidentally tripped and next thing you know I was at the bar <laughs> that's right just happened Trish out of nowhere did you have a good one though I did that was your first time in a long time because oh, it was you, definitely yeah. first time in coppers since the bad old times um, and how was it? Was it as good as you remembered it to be? Yeah, it was actually. It was quite fun. I'm not going to lie. Were you on your own? Did you just trip and fall own. in on your I own? <laughs> yeah, I went to coppers on my own, Trish. Yeah, that's know. exactly what happened. What are you, crazy? You tell me. Oh, come on. <laughs> okay, so you had a great time with your mates. Yeah, yeah. There was about... How many of us actually ended up there? Jeez, it was a right crew. It four, 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 okay. four. No, it wasn't too bad. No, that was all right. Yeah. Was it a late one then? Yeah, for a Sunday. Oh, no. You seem surprisingly fresh today. Two other. Thanks. Uh, I had two whole other days to go to Coppers. Chose chose Sunday night for some reason. Was it just uh, a male that came into the lads' group? Was just like, we're going out tonight, let's just do it? Or what? Was it your idea? No, it was. uh, My brother is back. He lives abroad. He was home for a a spell. And so uh, some cousins met up and some of their friends. And, you know, just. It was a very spontaneous uh, session that just happened. And uh, yeah, no, we ended up we ended up in coppers and uh, it was good. Well, you look grand. Oh, you know, thanks. you don't look like I realize you've been I'm wearing out the same the hoodie and it's got all this <laughs> oh, Kevin. 
Those are Don't like, just stop. Is that last night's name? Yeah. So you're doing the walk of shame today? No, I'm not. Is this the, just the, walk the same of shame? No, no, it's not the I had a good night. The sleep. work of shame. I just accidentally put on the same hoodie. Uh, okay. I didn't think it was that badly stained. To be honest, I didn't notice. Okay, and you look fresh, as fresh as a daisy, so oh, I would thanks. never have been able thanks. to guess that you were out on the rip last night. Yeah, yeah. No, not too bad. And it didn't, didn't go too wild, but, you know, just just happened. Okay. And what about the clocks going forward? Were you able, were you discombobulated? Were you able to get your mind around that? Uh, yeah, I woke up too early on Sunday morning, definitely. But, Asher, look. Isn't it great to have the grand old stretch back in the evenings? That's it. Oh my gosh. Like today it was amazing. Yeah. But you know there's bad news on the way. What? Oh, don't tell me don't tell me the weather's turning. Yeah. I'm not re- I'm not able or ready for that. I'm just telling you now so that you can enjoy it while it lasts. Because the next couple of days is seemingly all we're going to be getting of this good weather. And then it's gonna take a turn for the worst. Like oh. we're talking snow, what? hail, yes. Snow. It's coming. Oh it's no, Trish. Wait, no, 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 no. No, no, no. A cold front is on its way, so possibility of snow. Can you imagine? We just got, oh. we've just gone from, oh my gosh, Abu Dhabi. <laughs> and now we're going to go into the Arctic. I don't oh. know where we chose to live, but no, here we are. Me neither. Yeah. Oh, I'm so come Wednesday. Oh, look. Temperatures of minus five, they're saying, is forecast to be on the way. Um, but look, it might not be as bad. But just know, enjoy the sun while it lasts for the next couple of days. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm having a look at it here. Doesn't look too bad. Colder, and it's supposed to be an unsettled week. Don't doubt me now. (laughs) Doubt me, because yeah, but unsettled is so vague. I don't mind if there's a few shower. Again, I don't mind that. As long this the wind and rain, I don't. Just let that really. Be gone. That's the hard part. I don't mind part. the coldness. I know you can deal with that. Yeah, I don't know the cold. I've gotten used to the the, the heat now in my bones yeah, and getting up every morning the to sun. the sun. Mm. Yeah, it going back. It's not as easy. It's not as easy. But here we have time to prepare. Okay. So this week, Kev, Uh last night, in fact, was the 94th Academy Awards. Oh, yeah. I'd forgotten it was on. In your your next life, would you like to be an actor? I know you dabbled a little bit. Would it be something that you think maybe if you get reincarnated, (laughs) would you want to come back as an actor? Um, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, maybe. Maybe. I it's think a tough I life. would. Would you? Yeah. Would you like an actress? I'd lo- I'd like bearing your soul on stage. On the stage. Well, okay. it's somebody else's script. It's not really my story. It's not my story. But yeah, of course. Okay. I think um, you'd bear all, would yeah. you? Sure. I, I acted in the past, and I, I've loved it. It's not the same when you have a full-time job and no, trying to exactly. juggle that too. But um, yeah, making it, would be it your full-time job also is another whole other situation. But I think if it was my full-time job it would be grand. You know what I mean? Really? Like, yeah, because it's just one pressure. The, having two things, things that you're juggling while you're trying to learn a whole script, it's, ah, it's very difficult. Very, okay. very... I was losing my hair in the last musical I did. Like, yes, you're laughing, but I had ball patches. I could not stop. It was just the stress of everything and just putting myself under enormous amount of pressure mm. for my you know, on stage debut, it was horrible. Anyways, yeah, it's but quite, if it was it's, a prof- it's quite a profession. Yeah. Uh, it's um, it's a tough one. You do have to expose yourself, bear all. It's, it's very stressful. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not an it's not as easy as 
Kind of sounds like what we're doing now. That's right. It does, (laughs) Trish. Speaking into a microphone. Well, last night was absolutely full of drama at the 94th Academy Awards. The ceremony itself... Oh, it was actually quite dull. Yeah, it wasn't that exciting. Just that one little bit. But that's all it takes. Like, just remember... Like nobody remembers any of the Oscars since the one with La La Land got named incorrectly as winning oh, the best yeah. picture. Like that was like 2017. Oh jeez, I didn't you know it was that long ago. It was that long ago. Whoa! And there's been like five ceremonies since that. Now, Nothing to has be happened. Fair now. The ones that were virtual didn't have oh, yeah, the opportunity to be as dramatic. <laughs> that, you no, know, that's true. it's pretty organised. They're coming to your house. You can't really kick up a fuss while the camera and the crew is staring at you. You know, yeah. so it's a little bit different. Being in a crowd and running on stage, giving someone a good smack. <laughs> oh, oh my God, Will. God. What was he thinking? But as far as dramas go, it's you're right. It wasn't it wasn't the most exciting. You know what? No. It wasn't the MTV movie awards where, you know, people are kissing each other. That's Remember right. that. That really broke the television. I know. <laughs> do they do they still do them? The VMAs? Oh yeah. They're, They're still, still very big. Yes. Are they? We work in the music world, Kev. Come on. Yeah. I know, but still, I don't oh, think nobody watches that as much as they used to. I think maybe after the Miley Cyrus days, because remember when oh, yeah, she hosted, she was... there was a lot of drama there. Um, I think since then, it probably hasn't been the same. But then that's not because of the award itself. I think it's just the pandemic. It's different when you're, you know, presenting virtually. And I don't think the same scope is there to have as much vibrancy mm, <laughs> I'm calling true. the drama vibrancy well this is definitely it was back with a bang wow this one wasn't it will we remind I ourselves s- again of of what happened I know people have heard this a lot probably today but I think it's definitely worth hearing back everything that's gone down okay that Will Smith wins like please lord Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it. All right? <laughs> it's, that, was a, that was a nice one. Okay. I'm out here. Uh-oh. Richard. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. He's the- your fucking mouth. Wow, dude. Yes. It was a G.I. Jane jump. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. I'm going to, okay? My God. <laughs> I can, oh, okay. <laughs> that was a greatest night in the history of television. Okay. <laughs> okay crowd awkwardly laughs. Oh, it is. When he goes, when he says it again and he goes even louder and more intense and aggressive, I'm like, whoa, bro. To be honest, I thought it was all a joke. I genuinely was thinking Imme- this That was your immediate a- reaction. Yeah, my immediate reaction is this is a skit. They're, we're going to hear at the very end that it's a joke and haha, we got you. I did not think it was real. And to be honest, I, even up until... Um, Say after the shouting, up until I saw pictures of Will on the red carpet being kind of not on the red carpet, but in the arena or whatever. Yeah, Yeah, he was standing there and lots of the other actors were coming over and kind of, you know, talking to him. Until that very moment, I 
still thought it was Ta- fake. It was, but I was a like, setup. Why would Denzel Washington be going over yeah, and like stroking him on the back him. and consoling? You know, exactly. I was like, okay, maybe it isn't a lie. Maybe it wasn't all staged. Because I did think I saw a flicker of a smile on his face. No, and that's, that's not a smile. Me. It's like just, you know, he's so intense with emotion. Uh, you know, it might come across as being a smirk or whatever. While the joke was going on, there was a little bit of a smirk. Now he, yeah, but... But then in hindsight, maybe after he looked over and saw Jada's face. When you're listening to stand-up, it takes a second, doesn't yeah. it? You know, to let it all sink in and see what it meant and what it means. And So he was laughing along in kind of the spirit of things and then realised, oh, wait, what? And so but the little laugh... It was just a GI joke. No, we can't. Oh. No, listen. We, okay. I know we can't um, take into account how somebody else feels or how you make them feel. Because, like, you, you just can't say, oh, you shouldn't be upset or you shouldn't feel offended because, you know, you have the right to feel however you feel. At the end of the day, they're taking the, hmm. the piss out of you. Yes. But I didn't think it was as bad as some of the other jokes I've heard. And I think that's what shocked me. I was like, wait now. So you're choosing to react to To that one? Like there's been far worse things said and you've kept quiet. Well, like this is the whole thing. I didn't understand. I didn't get the joke myself until I had to read into it. I thought Chris Rock was referencing like a crap film that Jada had done in. that's never going to get a sequel oh. and that's why oh see a, you know can't wait to see a sequel that's never going to happen basically yeah, maybe it would have been better if it was that yeah exactly. well, I thought it was that and then I was like well that's a slight overreaction there Will but then found out about the alopecia thing and the fact that Jada has it and she's been outspoken about it and struggles with it and things like that hear me out for a sec I had no idea Jada had alopecia. I know she had said it on her Red Table Talk, but I'm not following the series day by day, week by week. So I watch it when there's a big interview on it. Like I watched the Jordan, Jordan, I can't think of her last name, but um, the the one that was in the Kardashian drama because she was very close to the family. I watched, you know, certain ones like that, but definitely not, I'm not watching it regular enough to follow their life. Mm. But yeah, uh, this is something she obviously has been suffering from a while. I thought it was just a fashion choice. I I thought she's, oh, she's rocking a new look. You know, this might just be the way she's going now. You know, get rid of the hair. Get rid of, you know, I I did not think it was going to turn left. I know. Uh, Well, yeah, is that something we were all supposed to have known? I guess so. Yeah, well, we don't. So do you think Chris Rock knew? Um... That he that she had alopecia. Yeah. Oh, I'd say with the so. Joke. Oh, I'd say so. I just don't know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think there was a that's a whole other question. I hadn't yeah. even thought of that. Oh, I'd say, I'd say he knew. did mm. because he didn't write that joke on the spot. Like, no, he know. didn't write it on the spot. But I, I, it's Chris Rock. Do you think they're double checking his material? I don't think he's. Is he even again. writing that material? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> now that's a whole other kettle of fish. Can you imagine if he didn't even write the jokes himself? Did somebody else write that joke? And, and stitch not, him up. And that, that person may not have known. Oh. I don't. <laughs> oh, we're going down a deep rabbit hole here, Trish. 
But tell us what did you make of it? Um, uh, 0876797104. What did you think? Did you think Will Smith went too far? Did you think the joke was crap? Or uh, It wasn't even that great of a joke. Like, no, I genuinely don't think the joke was a good joke. The audience laughed, but let's face it, it's just because they knew there was a gag that was supposed, supposed to be there. To be so, there. Ah, yeah. <laughs> nobody G-I-J. found it funny. No. I was like, and all right, okay, yeah. The fact that I had to Google it as well, I was like, okay, G.I. Jane has a bald head. All right. Yeah. But I knew that. I didn't. I was like, what? Is that just a film that was crap? Or, I don't know. Uh, I yeah. knew Demi Moore had gone the whole nine to really get into the ah, character into really? her role yeah so oh, she okay. shaved off her That's hair her hair at the time was a big deal you big know deal. women and their the own 90s hair, so. well, exactly different times so it was a huge deal but I, that's why I thought it was just um, maybe just a I don't know a fashion choice mm. but obviously she is very sick and she did not find it funny because when the pan when the camera panned back to her face oh no there was the, a scale to the yeah, gods I heavy think, eye roll ooh, well. <laughs> I'd say that's what Will saw and he thought you know what let me just shut up now and go defend my woman because I'll get home and she will be like why did you sit there laughing with everybody yeah. else and he'll probably be in the doghouse so he had a moment a split second to decide what to do and just and went just, snapped yeah. kind of went way over the top with it walked all the way up uh, slapped your man in the face did it look like down. a real slap it oh looked, yeah oh no it, it did it didn't even sound no, like intense. a real snap though. Yes, it was more it of did. a like a doof as opposed to a swoop that's because we're hearing it from the lapel mics it should have been even louder no, if we're hearing no, it no, from no. the lapel mics no 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 Trish, stop trying to, <laughs> to make suggest it a that this story. was a, a set up. This was an actual thing there. Yeah. The police yeah. were there. They were like, you know, he didn't. He chose not to file a report. Um, there were police on hand. If, if they said if he wants to, he can. Or in the he's future, he's not going to press charges. Though he's I've not going to press charges. But this was a real. This was a real incident, yeah. Trish. You know, this one hundred percent. Imagine if next week we heard this was all just to get the Oscars. No, they'd never admit that. Not a, a, not how far it's gone now. I don't think they would come back and say it was a, a joke. The Oscars people want you to be concentrating on the films and the performances and all. I don't think so, Kev. In the past, the Oscars was the most talked about event of the year. Yeah. It was talked about for months before. It definitely has, has lost its pizzazz. It's not the same as it was no. a few years ago. And I think the millennial generation, we do, do, do deal with the shock factor first. If it's not mm. shocking you, you don't remember. Do you know, that's why they go so over the top with the MTV Music, music Awards. Because I don't think if you just have a regular awards show these days, it's people are us. exactly... No. They're it's, not It's four hear. hours long. Tr- oh, stop. It's way too long. They insane. <laughs> attention span is TikTok I know, with, I know. know. Notions, the notions anyway so uh let's hear a little bit of, uh, from will's acceptance speech he had to go and then accept his oscar Stop, and I the tears were flowing Trish. the fact that he had to go up there after all of that <laughs> i would have just kind left. of explain himself while this is supposed to be oh. like the pinnacle of his career winning oh. this award but he has to kind of um, justify what happened in the last half an hour. Oh, it was a mess. Oh God, it was a mess. Cringe. Now, I know to do what we do, you got to be able to take abuse. You got to be able to have people talk crazy about you. In this business, you got to be able to have people disrespecting you. And you got to smile and you got to pretend like that's okay. 
I want to apologize to the Academy. I want to apologize to my, all my fellow nominees. Um, this is a beautiful moment, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not crying for winning a, an award. It's not, it's not about winning an award for me. It's about being able to shine light on all of the people, Tim and, and Trevor and Zach and Sanaya and Demi and Ingenue and the entire cast and crew of King Richard and Venus and Serena, the, the entire Williams family. Art imitates life. I look like the crazy father, just like they said. <laughs> I look like crazy father, just like they said about Richard Williams. Um, but love will make you do crazy things. Being able to love and care for my mother and my family, my wife. Um, I'm taking up too much time. Uh, thank you for this honor. Thank you for this moment. And thank you on behalf of... Richard and, and Orsine, the entire Williams family, um, thank you. Uh, uh, Hoping Academy invites me back. Thank you. <laughs> and then his little laughs at the end yeah, make him seem even crazier. But it's a classic example of, <laughs> I did something bold, but <laughs> please let me back in next oh year. You God. know, I, I did wrong, but it's all good. <laughs> I think it all stems back from the them consciously uncoupling. Mm. And tell me will, more about this. So, Just remind but, me what happened here. So there was an episode on the Red Table Talks, the show that Will and, or sorry, it's Jada's, Jada's show. show. Jada, her mom, and her daughter as well is on it. As well, their daughter, Willow. Yeah. Okay. So it's all three of those, the three generation in the Smith mm, family, and they sit there and they kind of dissect different issues, and they have celebrity guests as well. Sometimes her guests are really, really good, and I do tune in for those. Okay. On this, um, the relationship between herself and August Alsina had broken, and it was all over the place, and people were wondering, right? Did you have an affair? Did you step out? on your marriage hmm. so she got Will on the show on the Red Table Talks show and she was <sighs> yeah they they, they basically answered all the questions that the public were asking because you can ask on Facebook you know oh right yeah, in the you comments can ask. yeah exactly so they were answering some of the questions and I think how open was she being about it? she seemed very open and this is the thing if you've watched Red Table Talk they all no matter what you ask them about their life or their you know their parenting skills or their relationship they do seem very honest they just yep they don't have no issue with just laying it all out okay but this i think was a particularly embarrassing point in their life and i don't think they wanted it to be as public as it was mm. but when it got to the stage where everybody was talking about it and august alcina he was releasing snippets of his side of the story saying yes he was with jada but you know of course we wanted with to hear from will, jada what really happened he said he had will's full permission yeah but that turned out to not necessarily be the case I don't think it was that he didn't have his permission. Like, Will didn't go up to him and shake his hand and, and say, say you can now. be with my wife Here's now. the bedroom, That's, shall yeah, I walk no, you in? It wasn't like that. But I think um, after Jada had decided that she wanted to pursue this relationship, I don't think Will had much of a, uh, a say in it. Like, what are you going to do? Your wife comes home and says she wants to, you know, find a start a new relationship with someone else it's kind of hard to say no oh. you know so I think he just said look you do you if you need to find yourself then find yourself and if you come back to me then great but I'm just going to set you free I thought we had been hearing about their 
quote unquote open marriage mm. for years and I all just I don't know for whatever reason I always thought it was because he's Will Smith and he wants to you no, know I think that's where the open marriage things. yeah I think that's where the open marriage rumour stemmed from because she was seen to be having this relationship with August and like Will wasn't there was nothing being released there was no statements being released from either party so people just came to the conclusion that maybe this is just an open marriage and they're okay with it right. and that's people just made that assumption but they actually sat down on her show and spoke about it, it out. and yeah I don't think Will ever gave his permission but he just said you do what you want and if you come back to me in the end then great if not then we go our separate ways and you were saying Will then uh, became the target for oh. some online stuff which I, I didn't know either. people just went along little bit crazy with, the, with they how saying? they were treated. I think it was they expected him to react in a different way and it just goes to show we have all these s- images and stereotypes in our head of how the way we think a man should react or mm. a way, the way we think a woman should react. It goes back to that whole, you know, women can do certain things or men can do certain things and then women can't and I think in this situation a lot of people were saying that, you know, if it was her it would have been fine or vice versa because we're used to seeing men cheating and we're not really used to seeing the woman doing the cheating and the man not really saying anything so I think it kind of flipped the narrative on its head and I guess made Will a target they expected more from him whoever these they are don't ask but they were saying she's wearing the pants look at her she can like walk all over, over you. you. Why are you, you not saying something? You can... they, they were laughing at him. There were memes online of like people mocking him. So okay. I think that must have hurt. Now he didn't release any any statements. He didn't say anything. There was no rebut to what was happening. So I think maybe that could have been a build up at the awards as it well. Had to have like here a part. we go again, defending my wife. Yeah, yeah. take your my wife's name out of your mouth and all that. I mean. Who says that? Why are you going so... Why are you being so extra hypersensitive around the wife and all the... Yeah. He might not be dealing very well with that whole situation or not that comfortable with it. And, you know, it just... Who could be dealing well with that? As much like I think we think these celebrities are somehow superhuman. What your love life and your image? private life is out there for the world to rip apart and for people to openly mock you. You open the paper and your face is like the you know the biggest story of the day. Of course, it's going to affect you, no matter who you are. But you, you know? portray this image of being all. Woke and progressive and Hollywood and but he is woke and, and progressive. What yeah, does and then that stop slaps, him from? He slaps a guy in the face. That's not very woke and progressive. Come on! But being woke and progressive doesn't mean you don't feel hurt or pain or you know you don't feel offended when people are yeah, <laughs> taking you down. If you're in the public eye, you mm. do. First of all, you have to accept that ridicule. Being ridiculed by a comedian is com- kind of part of the territory. You also have to try and have a bit of a, a thick skin, and you also have to know that you are setting in. You're supposed to be setting an example. You know, of of how to behave, especially if you've got young fans and things like that. And, like, what kind of example is he setting there? Also, how do you feel about, like, the fact that nothing was done about this actual assault that took place 
on stage. You I know? think because people realise, like, I'm, I'm guessing Chris has probably realised that there. this is coming from a different place. It's not necessarily him and his joke. It must be coming from something else. Like, you don't just get up on stage after one comment and react that way. It obviously was something that was building up or he's just reacting because it's the end of his tether now, you know? Yeah. Well, if it was a build-up, there's a case there to be made because this isn't the first time that Chris Rock has made a joke about uh, Jada. This is a clip from the Oscars back in 2016. Is she on a TV show? Jada boycotting the Oscars is like me boycotting Rihanna's panties. (laughs) I wasn't invited. Jada's mad. Her man, Will, was not nominated for concussion. I get it. I get it. Tell the truth. I get it. I get it. You get mad. She said, it's, it's not fair that Will was this good and didn't get nominated. Yeah, you're right. It's also not fair that Will was paid $20 million for Wild Wild West, okay? Wild Wild West was a great movie. Was it? That was a great movie. Ah, I wasn't it was the trash. worst. <laughs> I think it was pretty trash. <laughs> I enjoyed the it. The song was good. Wow, wow, wow. We can, wow, wow, wow. Yeah, Welcome yeah, yeah. to the Wow, Wow West. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was pretty. Uh, so, look, I think the Rihanna, that, the Rihanna joke's pretty, that's kind of funny, isn't it? We I weren't invited. and That's poking fun a bit more. It, uh, that's a better joke than making fun of someone's like con- medical condition he wasn't making fun of her medical condition because I don't think he knew alright that's a no- <laughs> look this is again <laughs> your theory that you're bringing to the table Amazing. we have to I'm sure Chris Rock will <laughs> of course he's gonna There's deny no he's here. gonna deny now that he, he knew. knew isn't he yeah. but people won't believe that but people have been reacting, including some celebrities. Yeah. So let us know how they feel about it because it's. I, th- I do think it's it's a a mixture of emotions. It is. It's definitely coming from this studio anyway. Oh, that was incredible. That was incredible. You know, I just feel like it's, it's what he said. You know, you have, you have to protect your family. And, uh, you know, I believe in him and, and what he stands for. And so, you know, he's a stand-up guy. And uh, I'll, I'll have to stick by him. Well, I, I think it was very unfortunate. You know, I'm, I think part of doing stand-up and, and, and humor is you try to poke fun at everybody. And a lot of people were poked fun at. But that was very unfortunate because obviously it's something that she really, you know, it was, it was tough. And also, I think when they poke fun at you and your one of the celebrities it's a little different than if you're the wife of one but I absolutely don't condone violence of any kind so um, yes historic night of witness I wish it hadn't happened I think you know it took away from something amazing and wonderful I was confused I feel like everyone's confused right now especially because we were watching at home so it, it stopped so I, I'm curious tomorrow to see actually what happened I think these are two men that will actually come together figure it out and like say okay enough is enough I'm sorry you you know what I mean? Um, but, you know, you I, you know, I haven't been in that situation. I never condone violence or anything of that nature, but I also could understand protecting those you love. I think that both legends, I think I think there's something deeper sort of uh, to be discussed, and I hope they, they both step up man-to-man and kind of figure it all out, which I, I'm sure they will. Obviously, that's a big talking point. It feels like the room like went into a strange place, but then kind of went through some kind of therapy together and got to a good place in the end or something. It was a really bizarre. 
It looked like therapy when we were watching it. As well. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow, they're really supporting each other. You're all kind of crowded around Denzel's him. Denzel's there, yeah, Tyler Perry. Like patting him on the back yeah. and come on, man. And there was tears. I was like, what is this? What's happening? I know, bizarre. You, you've just assaulted a guy and they're being all pat on the back ah, Chris was on stage laughing he was not taking it I think towards the end he kind of was, was like a wait a slap. second that was just a a joke about the G.I. Jane uh, he didn't look like it hit him like it really I'd say it was I'd say he, he felt it though a there slap a... like that you, like Chris Rock's nearly 60 years old so is Will. <laughs> no, Will's on closer to 50. Yeah, but, you know. Is Will not 50 odd? He's 52. Ah, Chris Rock, that's, t- <laughs> that's not nearly 60, Trish. Come on. He's in the 50 bracket. Go on. <laughs> yeah, he's in the 50 bracket. But, like, this is not the way to behave. No. Also, they're kind of the old guy. That's my other point. Like, they came up in the 90s. Mm. They were pals, mates, all the rest of it. Now they are kind of... Re- they're the older guard now. Yeah. And... This is the kind of crap we're, we're seeing. Maybe Will is like, you know what? Keep my name out your mouth. Don't mention me. And let the new people, or yeah. the up-and-comers, realise yeah, that you cannot. Stop concentrating on me. Exactly. Like I am not your storyline. Yeah. Go find something else. Yeah. That's what I we mean. learned from that. Now, look, obviously violence is never condoned. And no. he, he obviously was just so... Was it pushed? I think to well, the point the where thing. he reacted. We've never seen Will Smith react like this. That's why it's so shocking. As I well. know that is we like, well, what? Trish. What was there another time? Because I don't remember that. I was watching this documentary about the fresh, fresh prince of yeah. Bel Air. Ah, uh, you cannot compare when he was like he got that woman. 20. He ended that woman's career. The one who played the original mother. He's apologized he for that. He got her fired. Mm. Ruined her name. Like she was properly I fell into a depression. That. He said, "You know, so this guy, I don't know, is he a little bit unhinged to begin with?" Okay, two mistakes <clears throat> does not a bad person make. I would not put Will in the boat of some of these other celebrities that have done atrocious things that we've forgotten. Like I genuinely would not put him in that pile. The odd Viv thing was back when he was 20. He's even spoken about that as well. And he's apologized to her. He was young and egotistical. I'm not saying ever there's any excuse. But he was at the height of his fame thinking he was the bee's knees that could, you know, he was on this big show that he was suddenly writing some of the lines. You know, he he was big for his boots. And he he admitted that. He had a bit of an ego. He grew up and... Yeah, he recognised his behaviour I think I don't think he can like look back 20, 40 years ago whatever it was and then say oh that is the man he is today come on okay alright <laughs> I'm just putting it out there like he's done some horrible things in his <laughs> life like that Did as you... far as most celebs go I think he's down there with he's annoying you know like some that's, of his yeah that's for sure self-righteous Shtick, let's yeah. help the world but sure wouldn't we prefer you to be like that than wrecking the world <laughs> yeah probably um, look I just think uh, it has to be a question then about like these Oscars ceremonies mm. so you're getting these actors who are precious and sensitive people at the best of times <laughs> right? their egos are so fragile yeah this was his big moment he basically 
he's probably been feeling aggrieved for the past 20 years mm. because he should have won uh, for Muhammad Ali when he was uh, you know I know well he probably thinks he's he should have carrying a torch for Muhammad he I is I think so is. I think he's thinking I, they should have been me I should have got him for Ali <laughs> no right so no he has a bit hey, you could see he really wanted it he wanted um the award he wanted this moment and uh, like a lot of actors who are out there and you know working for 30 years do and I think to get a comedian on and try and and poke fun at celebrities at their at this kind of time of hypersensitivity it's just it doesn't seem to work anymore you know it's just no. a, it's not the right format you because know? we're realising they're people too they're precious flowers it's so, not that they're precious flowers but if you're if your life is being the butt of people's jokes on stage regardless you would not like it and I'm not saying uh, like as celebrities yes they go through a lot but I, I still think you'd feel it I still think you'd be on that stage or sitting there in a crowd amongst your peers feeling a little bit red faced them going on about your life or your partner or when you are the butt of someone else's joke it's not funny it's only funny because it's not us <laughs> well look I just think the Oscars have had their day yeah. look if, we, if we're not going to be filling those little gaps the awkward gaps in between awards with comedians uh, just don't go there just yeah, what do we laugh about now what, yeah, what, what kind of jokes is well, it just we just leave other. off the comedian side of things leave the comedians off the award shows just the performances and yeah. cut the ceremony down to an hour do, speeches 10 seconds like mm. dude I was looking at Joe Pesci's speech from, oh, he was like literally God. thank you goodbye but um, even when the music comes on sometimes they're like why are they still ta-? they know I the know. run of this it's Just been stop. 94 we, years <laughs> like we yeah. know send Just- it in a tweet the people you miss to thank tweet it out and we'll get we get it you're thankful you know but there's the post Oscars interview as well which usually gets broadcast to every publication major publication so we get that we, no. we are going to thank Just we thank them there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, I do think the Oscars in its current format, the four hour thing, them trying to drum up publicity. Uh, if this slap hadn't happened, then we wouldn't. We, no. This yeah, segment wouldn't be it. happening. Even though you were like, I want Dune to win and they won a lot of awards. Did, You're I, like, I didn't even care. I know. I, and this <laughs> code of it, nobody, that's the, you know, the poor film that won Best Picture. Nobody's heard of it. Nobody will hear from them again. You know, it's just like, it's Will Smith's show. Only, um, but yeah, but no. Even I think his win was overshadowed oh, totally by what overshadowed. happened. Like, in years to come, that Oscar is never going to be remembered. No, it'll always be the his ce- win. The yeah. win. The ceremony that was a mess. <laughs> like imagine that's your big moment, and you're will always be remembered for this mad instant. It's like Kanye West. He will never live down running oh, yeah. on stage oh, with Taylor well, that Swift. That was fun. That and, was and What was she even winning that night? Nobody talks about that, but it's just... Remember that, that was the best Kanye? music video oh, right. of 08 or all something. Time. Of all time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Another so. one. Yeah. So what do we say? Like, what? what's our final word on this one? My final word is, I think Will kind of has to be forgiven. We've pushed the man to the brink. <laughs> Looks like it. Every story last year after she they did the whole Red Table Talks chat and he sat down and he said how he felt. Every story that followed was Will bashing. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, give the guy you know, a bit I'm of a break. I'm just like, the poor man needs a... Uh, yeah, just, just let he him needs go a with weekend. <laughs> a spa weekend. 
<laughs> Speaking of Spa Weekend, did you see the goodie bag they get at the Oscars, Kev? No. Well, oh my God, he'll Tell definitely me. be able to be crying his tears at some sort of chalet with what he got oh, in the goodie bag. Oh, they get stuff yeah. like that? Do they get trips abroad? Oh my God. Yeah. This is beyond what anybody else gets in their goodie bags. Man. Like this, you just go alone for the goodie bag. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, of course. Right? So while not everyone will be going home with an award and they didn't go home with an award, yeah. not everybody, they all went home, including the nominees, with a luxury gift bag worth six figures, right? From beauty products to cosmetic treatments and luxury holidays. I think it's the luxury holidays part. Yeah, That's all I'd want. Um, the gift bag was filled with incred- with an incredible range of goodies. So, it's called a swag bag, actually. It's oh. worth well over 100000 And it includes what? prizes like gold-infused olive oil. I don't know what you'd be doing. I, sure, I wouldn't even want to eat it. No. If it's gold-infused, it's staying on my press so just everybody can see my gold-infused <laughs> olive oil. Are we eating it now? Oh, no. No, it's like a fine bottle of wine. All right. Yeah. A crystal-topped bath bombs. Bath bombs. So, you're not just regular... It's not just your regular bath bombs. No, no, no. These are crystal bath bombs. Like, I don't know if it's Swarovski. <laughs> it might be dangerous. <laughs> Maybe if it's Swarovski crystals stuck in places, you don't want to <laughs> be Joke. You're scrubbing her away and Crystal <laughs> gets that, lodged. That's the height of luxury though. Oh God, I got scrubbed by yeah. Swarovski. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> You'd prefer the real diamonds, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> now the nominated stars. Stars. So who gets these the, those mega bags? Is that just for the winners? Yeah. So the oh. the, the, the the top top top. 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 So Will yeah. is getting that. Yeah. Okay. But they also get what the nominated. People get. people get as well so they will also be getting um, stars will become lords and ladies of Glencoe so it's a estate after receiving a plot of land in Scotland what? a plot of land yes Wait a minute. so what? after receiving a plot of land in Scotland as well where they can cash in on other another of their prizes a two night stay in a ten bedroom castle Oh my gosh. This wow. is where you know they're just literally flinging away money. So they have a little plot in Scotland. All the nominees have a and plot the winners. Around. Yeah. What? That was in their goodie bag oh as well. God. What did the uh, what did the the presenters get? I don't know oh, about the presenters. Just go home with a slap face and no, that's I'd it. No, I'd say they get goodie bags as well. Yeah? Yeah, I'd okay. say they give them a goodie bag, bag or two. for everyone. Yeah, everybody who takes part. But yeah. Jesus. Okay. Like imagine, imagine. I now own his plot of land in Scotland. <laughs> I yeah. didn't do anything to See acquire this. <laughs> Get the girls Just a together. Patch of grass. <laughs> you can make your own fire fest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. We've talked some load, Kev. I know. We have. <laughs> and there's lots more to come. Yes. We'll be chatting about not only the clocks going back, but also Pam and Tommy. Oh, Pam. Uh, we and have Tommy. to get to yeah, Pam and Tommy. Yeah. Considering you've seen it, let's do it. We've yeah. both seen it now. Yeah. You're listening to the Room 104 podcast. FM 104. We're back. It's Room 104. It's Trish and Kev. Oh, we broke down the Oscars. We did. We also broke down the weather. And now it's time to broke down, broke down, time to break down our weekend TV viewing. And mine was Pam and Tommy. You watched it a little bit uh, a few weeks ago, didn't you? Yeah, I know. The weekend previous, actually. So um, I didn't watch. Oh, I did. I'm one episode away from finishing Euphoria. Have you finished that? Yes, but. 
I didn't like Because it's week uh, to week, I, I guess, yeah, you know. It's I definitely have another episode there to watch then. I know. Sometimes when it's week to week, you, you lose it. It loses you. Yeah. You The momentum doesn't keep up and you just kind of fizzle. I'm, and then I, I just, feel like I have to watch back last week's episode to oh know no, what's happening, I never do. you know? I just kind of go with it and, and catch pre- up. Yeah. Right, yeah, if there's a plot point I don't fully understand, I'll like, I'll read about it or, you know. I definitely won't go back and watch things. Oh, I don't I have do. the time to do that. Sometimes no. I do if I feel like I'm so far behind. So lost. Yeah, like I'm just like, I need to figure out what's happening here. Who I'll was she again? Yeah. You know, sometimes you they're adding in new characters. Yeah, and <laughs> they might have been in one scene in the previous right. series and you're like, why are we? Do, why do we care about this person still? And what I'm finding out about Euphoria is that season one does not really mean it's matching up to season two. Like some no, of the storylines in season in season one I'm like why didn't they continue those or yeah. carry them on like for instance um, Cassie's fella in season one why yeah. didn't did she have a fella yeah yeah the, the footballer guy the jock the jock yeah what happened to him season two did he just vanish remember he had the awful incident where they were you know getting it on uh-huh. and then the soccer team came in or the football team came in and they assaulted him what happened what? to that storyline I don't remember that at all oh my god but that's what I mean like some of these things are huge storylines but yes they just seem to make it a passing like a yeah. little passing well if you think about it like season one he, they, he was uh, they were only commissioned to write this guy Sam Levinson the creator mm. uh, was only uh, commissioned for one season so obviously you're going to have you're not quite sure where it's all going for season two and some things that were there just get dropped by but the natural. big things shouldn't be dropped is what I'm saying because that was a huge scene and was I remember it? even on TikTok a lot of people were speaking about it Coy. the black guy that, that no, got assaulted I, I, in it. how do you not remember Trish, I season have one no, is gone oh no that was something I, I watched that ages ago <laughs> see I only watched it recently yeah. because of season two season two everybody was coming out about. yeah, yeah. Um, some fa- apparently the fans of that show have a big problem with uh, the creator um, for some reason, what did the um, uh, some things he did with um, the character of Cat, mm. um, she took issue with, and he wasn't making her empowering enough or something. Look, it was all very confusing. Also, the girl who plays Maddie, yeah, he's thirty-one years old. Oh uh, yeah. Did you know that? But that's the like the the best kept secret in Hollywood she, she never mentions it's her age her anywhere page. yeah and people have gone online and done their research and yeah. found like pictures of her when she was back in school like she's obviously gone through a lot of effort to try to and scrub keep it, it off secret. I know it's not mad the amount of effort people have gone through to out her but it's not even something to be embarrassed about I don't no. understand why it's such a why it's such a big secret <laughs> no she should kind of embrace it like people have been paying teenagers when they're older for since the beginning of for, like look at cinema. all the Dawson's Creek folks they exactly. were all well into their mid-20s yeah, they're in playing 16 year olds but were they it's 30? not new yeah look yeah funny I think for Glee some of the actors oh, were Glee were ancients yeah but that's it they were playing high schoolers and they were all in their 30s so I don't understand why don't or why not address it if people are talking about it just address it just say look yeah I am so what and then I was like I was looking at comments and she was afraid of the ageism 
rearing its ugly head again. Oh, girl, because you've made it such a big secret, now it's going yeah. to seem like it is a big thing. Like, okay, well, if she thinks she's old, then maybe she is old, you know? Mm. That's the way I'd look at it. Interesting. Just, think, just, just say what you are. And I think people will become more used to the idea of seeing it or, you know, she doesn't look in her 30s. No, she definitely doesn't. Uh, uh, what, what is looking in your 30s these days? Exactly. Do you know what I mean? I know. I don't know. Anywho. Anyway, so I was watching the new yeah, Pam and Pamela Tommy. Uh-huh. Absolutely loved it. I did not expect yeah. it to... Grip you? Have, yeah, or have as much of an impact. I just kind yeah. of thought it was going to be a little bit of celebrity fodder and that's and it. be a throwaway. Yeah. Now, they have left out some of the storyline because according to what I've heard and have you know if you followed Pam and Tommy at all not that I was following them you know avidly or anything but well, we would have been very young uh, we would have been kids like only I remember Baywatch though and I remember yeah, it I being remember a Baywatch. huge thing and yeah, I remember her being like the poster girl you yes. know yeah yeah but I would have I remember reading press stories just about their tumultuous relationship and them splitting up and making up and getting divorced and then being remarried again but yeah. as far as it was real know, fodder for like E! News and oh, yeah, or Perez Hilton yeah. remember Perez back uh, in the day just a real gossip blogger that's yeah, it yeah right okay okay yeah airing their dirty laundry mm, to the public mm. but I just I remember reading a lot more than I saw that this relationship to me the way they portrayed it was very much they were in love and oh, it was young love yeah, passionately four in love with each other. Four day engagement and mar- or just married him within four days. Or and something? it didn't seem like it was just physical. You know, yeah. they were they Into seemed each other. like they had a bond, like some sort of twin flame connection. Yeah, but then he asked her on the plane. So, what's your favorite like book or movie or something? They didn't yeah. know anything and about each other. No, nothing. Yeah. It's like. But, Met her in a nightclub, saw this woman yeah. that he thought was, it was absolutely Pamela Anderson. Yeah, was absolutely gorgeous, and decided that I will approach her, and of course, in Tommy Lee fashion, does it in the most outrageous, elaborate way, jumping on a table in front of her and her friends, and you know, yeah. I am Tommy Lee. Yeah, yeah. Um, licks her on the face. Oh, licks her on the face <laughs> as his first introduction. Yeah, wow. You should really get kind of a charmer, a charming personality from him, but he kind of. I can see why Tommy was not all for his character in it. Yeah. They made him out to be a little bit of an idiot, like an egotistical mm. idiot who just was not with it, not with with the with the issues that were at hand. For instance, when the tape got leaked, he just seemed to not really have a clue that she's a woman and that she's going to be seen naked to and it's going to affect gonna, her different, her obviously, than him. Yeah, I think there was one part where he turned around and, you know, she said, listen, um, this is really, I'm really upset about it. I'm so distraught. Like, you know, what are we going to do? We need to try and find this tape. We need to make sure it does, doesn't get seen. And at this point, cut to the tape has been everywhere. <laughs> the tape is online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody knows about it. Um, but she, in you know, in the darkness, he's still filling her head up with all sorts of crap that oh nobody knows about it no yet we it. have a private detective that'll sort this yeah, out yeah. and she turned around and was like you're we need to find it you need to get you know be a little bit more upset about this and he was like why because you're more famous than I am you know you think it's going to affect me more and she was like no because I'm a woman you idiot (laughs) what is wrong with you and it's just like oh yeah yeah that old thing you know he's constantly and 
Might not be he the sharpest. He caused the whole thing to happen in the first place. Yeah. It was his lack of being a good human being if he just paid your man properly. I know for his services, like True. he was building his house, and essentially he robbed him. He was being a an, an because Tommy uh, wouldn't pay him. Yeah, he wouldn't yeah. pay him, and then robbed his tools after he came back yeah, to get his tools. No. He threw him off his property, held a gun to his head, and said, oh, "Nah, you're not getting your tools back. You didn't finish my house. That you, you know, you threw me out of here." And yeah. so your man was really upset. I was like, you could have prevented so much if you just paid these people and just been a decent human being. Like, yeah. you were a millionaire. You could have you could have just paid him and just moved on with your it's life. It's like he didn't have the money or something. It was weird. Like, why well, would Well, they you? were on the end part of their career. So this was like the 90s mm. and they would have been big. The Motley Crew would have been big in the 80s. The 80s. And so, Maybe yeah. he didn't have a whole load of cash to Then stop building, building these this stuff. I know, but you get the notion bedroom mansion <laughs> I know you get notions though yeah. and yeah funny character that dude but the performance is unbelievable what you make of Lily oh. Jane what about all those prosthetics I was asking you earlier unbelievable were there were her boobs prosthetics yeah. as well they were prosthetics over her now, I, I read about the whole the whole like she's pretty much flat chested so okay to get them up to that size yeah, and I was the, like what yeah. really did she get like Temporary implants or something no. crazy? No. I don't think those exist just yet where you can just get temporary yeah, implants under your skin. For a day. You know? ah, yeah. <laughs> can I just try those on? Like yeah. a pair of shoes. <laughs> I want double D's today yeah. and well, my tomorrow, A's tomorrow. Yeah, we'll see. We'll take that. That's another day. That's an idea and a half, actually. I'm telling you, I'm full of them. <laughs> But um, yeah, so she had prosthetics on the boobs. She had prosthetics on the forehead to kind of heighten it a little bit more because. Um, Pamela has a higher forehead right. and also with the eyebrows as well they were much more thinner and higher yeah, than Lily James's so there yeah. was a whole forehead lift Thing. that we God. didn't we weren't privy to but it was done so Mad. well there was no way of seeing it you know um, what else did she get done oh the her cheeks. teeth there was definitely oh the teeth she it? got like um, porcelain uh, an addition thing. put over her teeth because uh, Pamela's teeth are a little bit more protruded so she had to make hers the same as well wow. and her lips were a lot fuller than Lily James's lips so yeah. they had like and a little bit of lips on the cheeks as well I feel like there was something no? do you know when I looked at the side by side of Pamela and Lily James they do have the same kind of bone structure Okay. so I don't think it was too hard to, to, do. to do the extra bits now I know there was a lot of work but it, it probably wasn't like they didn't change her face shape it's not a million miles away from what Pamela's face shape is you know it's just little accents here and there to make it to perfect the look mm. were you surprised because uh, Lily James actually reached out to Pamela mm. and um, just she wanted you know, nothing to do she with it she wanted nothing to do with it and I'm she and Pamela so Anderson didn't make any money from this show either no, it's kind of like just a story for all to tell I don't know yeah. strange do you think I after watching it I kind of understood why she probably wouldn't want it to be out there or she wouldn't want to relive that that was a particularly mm. traumatising time for her I'd say so me watching it I felt her pain and I felt the trauma she was going through even sitting on the Jay Leno show and having yeah, them talk about awkward. her sex life and can you imagine being in that position and she kind of stops and says no it's not fun there's nothing funny about this mm. and it was really awkward but yet they're all still laughing about it you know she was in every every publication yeah, people magazine. were running with snapshots from the video 
radio on the magazine yeah oh god mm. I just think it was early a days different the internet time. as well yeah, yeah you wouldn't see that now you you couldn't see that now mm. but we just she was just press fodder like just just laugh at her and laugh at him mm. and it was you know we were all yeah the world was just laughing unanimously at these two and watching them in their private moments and I think that was particularly um it resonated with me as well when she towards the end they were saying you know this isn't your average sex tape we didn't just make a sex tape this was our home video we yeah. were making for our own private use this wasn't you know we were in a bedroom and we set up a camera up, this yeah. was they were on their boat they were you know mm. having family events they were and it, it really did feel like you were watching these yeah. people's private moments very intimate because it's know? like their honeymoon as yeah, well right and she's saying oh make I me preggers oh, and yeah God. that's not really what what you he- want, want to hear on a sex no. tape, is it? No, like, oh God. it's but it wasn't. This was this was their private personal property that somebody robbed and put it online, and all of a sudden we're like going, you know, everybody seeing the Pam and Tommy sex tape, but it wasn't. It was their private home video. So you're not one bit surprised that, uh, that she didn't want to anything to do with it or didn't no. offer Lily James any advice no. on how to play her or... what's she gonna say you know actually when you're on the bed or when you're on the counter you know maybe arch her back a little bit more because yeah. that will give you more of a view that's you so know? much more me that's definitely what I would have done I just a lot of it was to do with her not having on clothes as well you know it was it's it a lot of nudity. It it's a particular scene where Tommy as well is speaking to his manhood where I just couldn't get over it. Like there was a whole was monologue of him speaking to his parts. And yeah. what was he was he And it moved like a mouth? It moved. Yeah, it was it, looking back up at him and talking <laughs> to him. What is that show yeah. was wild. It was, very, it was good though. But very good and definitely worth the watch. Yeah. What, six episodes? Eight, four? I think. Eight? Yeah. yeah. It's on Disney Plus. Yeah. Well worth watch. Definitely. You're listening to the Room 104 podcast. FM 104. Belters only make me feel good. And it really does make me feel good, that song. <laughs> so good, I just bashed my elbow you off did. the table. I've been bashing things as well. Uh, we're not used to this new space that we're in. Oh, a little bit smaller, so we yeah. feel like we can't fit. Uh, but it's not that small. <laughs> no, it's a big space. But for some reason, I just keep, I'm all elbows today, Trish. Yeah. You know, just sitting off just things. Different locations. Don't know what's going on. Yeah. Now, coming up, we will be hearing about professional pillow fighting yes you heard that right yeah I, I never thought I'd hear about but here we go so these are pillow fighters that have literally taken it to the main stage yeah it's Make no it longer just in our bedrooms no no, no 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 they're taking it to the ring with the all the gear head gear real not your average pillow per se this is like weaponary pillow weaponary a pillow that's pillow. been weaponized that's right <laughs> And they've got all the gear, the gloves, the headgear, uh, everything. Uh, they go for a couple of rounds. It's becoming like the new, a new UFC or, you know, new MMA. And we might be seeing it in the Olympics very we soon. Might be seeing it in the Olympics. We might be seeing it everywhere, Trish. And uh, because it doesn't cause big injury. You know, I'd say though if you got to whack off one of those oh, pillows God. in the head, yeah. but obviously there are rules, rules that will be explained by one of the organisers of this brand new event, Steve Williams. He's coming up next. You are listening to Room One Hundred and Four right now. We're joined by Steve Williams, the CEO of Fight PFC, on to talk to us about professional pillow fighting. Steve, welcome along. Thank you very much for having me. It's welcome. great to be here. So, Steve. 
start us off from the beginning. Explain to us what exactly is professional pillow fighting? How did this all come about? Well, it's kind of a long story. Um, I was going to build a fight truck. Um, you can go to fighttruck.com and see it. It's a transforming um, mobile stage. And we were going to drive it into town. Um, it would uh, open up like a Tesla rocket. Um, some MMA fighters would get on, have a fight. Um, some local dancers would, would dance. Um, when the show's over, it would, it would collapse on itself and drive away. It was all part of a, a streaming show. Um, but my brother said, look, you can't do MMA in, in all the states in the U.S. Um, it's illegal in, in quite a few uh, states. So he said, why don't you do pillow fighting? And, uh, you know, and I'm just uh, like, what are you talking about, man? I'm, we're doing MMA <laughs> and um, but not pillow fighting. So um, he kind of kept after me and um, um, convinced me, hey, you know, we, we could, there's a niche here for nonviolent uh, sport, um, a lot of action. Um, you know, let's, let's give it a shot. So, you well, know, I gave it a shot, um, started working on a little bit. We used regular be- uh, bedroom pillows, um, and, and, um, and models. We, you know, we're in Miami, so, um, uh, plenty of models available. Um, so it was sort of the, the, the feathers flying and, and sort of sexy lingerie pillow fighting. And when we looked at it, we said, you know what, it, we could do one fight like this, but it's going to be boring. You know, after the, after the second fight, it's. It's not the time and the place for this kind of thing. So we stepped it up. Um, we hired some uh, local boxers, that um, Golden Gloves uh, uh, boxers um, that were available uh, to do some some demo fights. We, we paid them to get in the ring. Um, then we started, uh, that went well, actually. Um, was, you know, a real knockdown fight. Mm. Um, then we started fooling around with the different pillow designs to put uh, handles on the pillowcases. Mm. Um that led to the use of the ripstop nylon, which is a much more durable and exciting looking uh, and also sounding material. And that's when it really all came together. When we, when we, you know, when you hit somebody and you, you just hear this boom, it has sort of a, a bass trouble uh, to it. Um, especially when you're in person, you don't, you don't hear it as much when you're on, uh, you know, watching on TV, but, uh, but the in-person boom um, just sends a, a sensation to your brain and when you see somebody getting smacked in the face and, and you hear that boom, it's just phenomenal. I've watched a little bit of it, Steve, and oh my gosh, what a sport. Uh, first of all, you answered my question before I even asked it. How the hell are those pillows not exploding? So it's a special kind of material that they're they're coated in. Um, and also, it does seem like it hurts. These aren't average pillows, Steve. Yeah, there actually are. Uh, we've experimented around that. Our first uh, pillows were made out of uh, goose down. They were super expensive uh, mm. pillows, about $300 a piece. Um, um, those were a little too heavy. I think those were three and a half pounds. The the pillows you saw in the, in the pound down there, uh, um, our, our pay-per-view that's on now, is those were only uh, 1.6 pounds. Uh, the pillowcase itself weighs about a half a pound. Mm. Um, it absolutely... Um, with the lighter pillow, you get a little less, uh, a little less weight, of course, but you pick up speed. So um, it definitely hurts. <laughs> Don't think I've ever spent I mean, three hundred quid for a pillow in my life. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. Uh, Steve, explain to us um, what are the rules? Because I know they're in a ring, right? The contestants are in a ring, but I, I don't think you can get knocked out by a pillow, or can you? 
we we had one TKO, which was absolutely incredible. No. Um, we never thought we'd, we'd see it happen. I mean, the, the guy got hit in the stomach, and then he got hit in the in the head just right, and he couldn't fight anymore. Ooh. And this this guy was uh, Mike Trujillo. He's a very hardcore MMA, um, actually, actually a, a backyard brawl uh, fighter. Right. You know, bare knuckles. He's a tough guy. And he got knocked out. Oh, my God. I mean, he couldn't fight. He, he laid on the mat for about five minutes, and finally they, they scraped him off, and he, he, he needed help uh, walking to the back room. It was amazing. Most amazing moment in sports I've ever seen. <laughs> so it sounds like it. <laughs> sounds like yeah. it. Uh, so, but apart from that, how, like how, how does this point system work? How does the scoring work? Yeah, it's real simple. Um, and we wanted the rules to be simple. I mean, boxing uh, scoring is actually very complicated. People don't understand it. It's it's real simple. It's a, You get hit in the head. Um, it's one point. Um, if, you, if, if you get hit from a 360, sort of a reverse 360 move, that's two points. Um, um, if you fall down uh, and you hit three points, you know, two knees in, a, in your hand, uh, then that's three points. Hmm. So it's it's real straightforward. It's it's all about getting hit in the head or knocking someone down. Yeah, and, and but there's no contact in terms of you can't push or touch the other person. What do, what can you do with the hand that's free that isn't using the pillow? Yeah, you can block. You you can't hold your 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 hand above the the shoulder, mm. um, and it, that's hard to enforce. Uh, or it's 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 hard to enforce during a fight. Um, a, lot, a lot of times the, the fighters just sort of naturally do it, but. Um, but that's the way it is. We don't want somebody to just constantly be, uh, you know, blocking with their left hand above their their shoulder. Hmm. Steve, you've had some really massive ex UFC fighters, MMA fighters. How do you convince them to get in the ring with a pillow? Going from you know such massive contact sports. Yeah, we we most of our fighters are uh, either you know past or present MMA fighters, Bellator and UFC. Um, they love it. Um, we pay them well. Mm. Um, you know, they, their friends show up. Um, it's really a big party. Um, it's just a blast. And, um, you know, they, they, nobody gets hurt. They don't walk home with a, you know, they don't go home with a headache, uh, broken mm. nose, um, you know, things like this that they'll, that they will do in their, in their other profession. Um, but we still have all the action. You know, yeah, and um, I think what we're proving is it's not required that you that you go to an MMA match and and actually see blood or you know see somebody being maimed. It's mm. just it's good it's good clean uh, fun, but you you still see the skills of the fighters and mm. their and their chosen martial arts. You can see all their strategies and all of that goes into play with with pillow fighting. So this is a way for real athletes and, and competitors to be able to compete without having to face that constant danger of of real serious injury, right? Yeah, you could pillow fight every day. You could probably do an MMA, MMA fight, um, you know, maybe once every three months. I mean, some of the heavyweight fighters um, are only uh, able to fight, you know, twice a year, and that's only if they they don't get hurt so um it's um it's good entertainment it's good sport um you could fully go after somebody and and you know what you're doing is you're is you're trying to pick apart their strategy or you're, or you're finding a weakness and then you exploit the weakness it's just like any other fight that's what that's what everybody does in in any uh, fight or any battle or any war mm. And do you think now pillow fighting could be uh, finally getting be getting the recognition it deserves as one of the more intense combat sports? 
I, you know, I, uh, male pillow fighting, we have females as well. Um, mm. in fact, I think our, 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 our female fight was the better fight, um, much better than the, than even the male, uh, championship, uh, rounds. But, um, uh, that was unbelievable, uh, battle. Well, yeah, I think, uh, I think um, somehow we hit it at the right place, at the right time, with the with the right pillow and the right rules, which which we're still tweaking a little bit. Um, I saw I saw three or four articles talking about this should be in the Olympics, uh, which just blew us away. Um, so we're just you know we're like what are you you know it's crazy, but then when we look at it, well, you know there's some crazy stuff in the Olympics. It's a little a lot more exciting than curling or some of these other things. You know cornhole is uh, is now a million dollar sport, so mm. we're hoping that. Uh, you know, someday we'll be we'll be offering million dollar uh, pillow fighting prizes. Nice. And we can start practicing with our siblings in our bedrooms. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. we'll make it to the stage. Well, but, yeah. You know, it's the one sport that everyone on earth has done it. And yeah. every night, everybody on earth goes to goes to sleep on a pillow, and they wake up, and you know, they could fight with it. So you can, your pillow is your best friend. But much like the pillow fights we have at home in our bedrooms with our siblings or whatever, it can get pretty heated. It can get, you know, it can turn kind of nasty. Do the competitors, does it get emotional? Does it get, does it turn? Oh, yeah. Well, there was uh, there were several uh, near brawls on the, on the court there. And there was a lot of passion. You know, we, they, mm. uh, the championship was, uh, was $5,000. Um, there's a lot of pride. Nobody wants to lose a pillow fight. Yeah, you know? I, I can mean, imagine. Some em- embarrassment factor for an MMA fighter to actually lose and and even lose early. You know, it's like impossible. So, um, but it happens. You know, some there's only one winner. Yeah, yeah. And so, Steve, if I wanted to get involved, right, uh, do I have to have some sort of um, martial arts background, MMA fighting background, or could I just give you a call up and say, listen, I got some strong arms here. I want to give this a whirl. Yeah, our first fighters were all, we, we stuck with boxers and the hardcore MMA fighters. We knew we had to sort of win that group in order to be taken seriously. So we, we stuck with that. But we, we, we have had uh, athletes come on come in off the street that, you know, um, we're just, um, you know, street fighters and, um, and just regular people. We had, um, Kendall was a, a volleyball player. I mean, she's, she's a striker. She's got an absolute killer, um, spirit. Uh, and, um, she's, she's been phenomenal. She's, she's like one of our, our two major, uh, female stars. Hmm, amazing. And uh, Steve, tell us about the the audience then, the, the audience reaction to this. Is this something that is is really growing in popularity? Do people want to come to the shows, watch it online? Uh, tell us about how popular it's become. Yeah, the, I mean, our first few fights, it was really kind of a closed audience, you know, so we sort of control things um, from a from an audience perspective. But the last fight we had, we, we you know, told people to just bring whatever VIP, you, you know, we're, we happen to be ground central for MMA world here in South Florida. There's, you know, there's, there's fighters everywhere. There's gyms everywhere. There's people come in from around the world training here. So we have access to all these people. It's, um, we're in a really lucky spot. Um, but the, so, so our audience was, um, I mean, we had Dada 5,000. He was, uh, he, he, he's the founder of uh, uh, Backyard Brawls, and he was one of the guys that fought uh, Kimbo Slice back in the day. You know, hardcore uh, fighters. Um, Milton Supreme, it was um, Jake Paul's original boxing coach, was there. Mm. Um, we had some guys from the Goat Shed. In fact, one of one of the guys, um, Logan Prince, uh, Prince, sorry, Prince Logan, um, 
was in the audience and, and we had a, someone drop out and he said, I'll fight. And I looked at him and I was like, oh man, I, I would love to have you fight. Let's, let's go. You know, we got him an outfit and he was in the ring about 15 minutes later. And, um, he's a hardcore, uh, you know, he's from the goat shed. I'm not sure if, if you're familiar with, uh, the goat shed, but it's, um, it's uh, sort of ground central downtown Miami, um, uh, fighter training school. Hmm. And, um, they get some really bad dudes that come out of there. Nice. Well, you know us Irish. We're we're kind of known as the Fighting Irish, and we've got <laughs> McGregor. Uh, you know, is one of our yeah. mega stars. What you know? What if someone is listening here in Ireland? They say, "I want to be the next, you know, world champion pillow fighter." Um, where can they find out more uh, about you and what you do? Uh, they can go to uh, fightpfc.com. Fightpfc.com. It's also fightpfc is our social media. Um, name as well um hey you know funny funny you should men- mention the fighting irish which yeah. um i got a little i got a little tad of that in me as well <laughs> nice um, but we've had more uh, interest out of ireland probably on a on a five to one basis um from any other media source and the, and the media is coming in from all around the world uh, there you go i'll say ireland is number one uh england number two uh japan number three <laughs> uh, and then of course uh, you know u.s as well Excellent. Wonderful. Uh, Steve, what do you see in the future for pillow fighting? We we hear of the Olympics, but what else? (laughs) Well, we we have this whole program called uh, PFC Kids. PFC Kids, um, it's pillow fighting for kids. We're going to be bringing PFC into all the the fight schools and the dojos around the world where um, it'll be, let's call it a gateway sport um, to other MMA sports you know kids love to pillow fight it's great for their for their mental health uh they'll be able to go in and you know beat the crap out of each other but not get hurt (laughs) um get some get some uh anxiety and anger out when there's there's tons of it and you know i always say that the world needs a pillow fight right now and we're bringing it and i think that's the sort of vacuum that we're able to to fill right now with with what we're doing Oh my gosh, can you imagine if we could get the world leaders to, to, to all just grab a pillow yeah. and just fight it out exactly. that way? <laughs> uh, well, that'll be amazing. You know, and that's what sort of the Olympics is for. So it'd be, uh, it would be uh, nice to actually see that happen at, at an Olympic event, you know. And uh, I'm sure there's a few, uh, few of our uh, general citizens that wouldn't mind uh, partaking in that effort yeah absolutely a, a brawl for all exactly uh all right steve williams ceo of uh fight pfc thank you so much for coming on and chatting to us and uh opening our eyes to the world of professional pillow fighting thanks for having me it's room 104 with trish and kev of a tuesday welcome to the show oh, thanks what what uh, did you make of uh, steve the professional pillow fighters <laughs> I think in a few years to come we'll be watching the Olympics and we'll see a mm-hmm. ring being set up and it'll be two pillow fighters as opposed to UFC or boxing is, wait a minute this is the perfect solution to the Chris Rock Will Smith <laughs> fiasco oh 
oh get some pillows in their, ha- in their hands and just go for it. I feel like Chris does not want any kind of fight, whether it be a pillow fight mm. or otherwise. Yeah. He's just trying to bury this one. <laughs> um, and Will, he's probably trying to as well, because at the Oscars after party, he seemed to be oh, chilling and smiles. having a great night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no. that was short lived. Well, I'll be promoting for, I'll be <laughs> pushing for next year's Oscars will be a, a ring in the middle of the stage. We give them a pillow each, put mm. the headgear on and let them... Let them fight it let out. Them out with pillows. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what did you make of it anyway? Is it something you think you take up in your spare time? Uh, a bit of pillow fighting? Absolutely. I have to find the right pillow though, you know, <laughs> they need to be the right bounce and weight. It's going to be a, a long a long process to get into the sport. Okay, okay. Well, I'll tell you what was a very long process. Andrew Pritchard, he has had... Um, a life that one filled with drugs one filled with lots of strife tribulations but he's made it out the other side and he shared his story with us Um, he was an ex cocaine kingpin never thought I'd be saying those words no king of cocaine they called him apparently and uh, (laughs) but he's out of that now reformed and doing his best to give back yes He's coming up next. You're listening to the Room 104 Podcast. FM 104. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's Room 104 with Kev and Trish. Right now we're joined by Andrew Pritchard, a former drug smuggler who has now turned his life around. Andrew, welcome to the show. Well, I'm glad to have me on there. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> Thanks for having me on there. Welcome, <laughs> no. Andrew. Now, uh, Andrew, you've got a, a fascinating story, uh, a fascinating life, I suppose. Let's try and start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about how you grew up, your childhood, uh, everything like that. Well, yeah, um, interesting kind of uh, where I grew up and stuff, how I came about. Uh, I'll start with my parents. Uh, my parents were one of the first sort of um, mixed race sort of couples, you know. Uh, my mother came over from Jamaica just shortly after the wind rush. My father, he was an East End, you know, boy, born and bred in East London. Um, they got together 
in the um, 1950s, as I said, not long after my mum had, you know, arrived in this country. Um, my dad, he was a bricklayer, had a paraffin business where he used to deliver paraffin door to door. My mum, she started to work in a uh, like regular kind of light bulb factory where they made light bulbs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, hard to get themselves you know into property at that time uh they had a property and at that time as i said we're still finding incredibly difficult to come over here and find lodgings and um a lot of racism stuff like that existed my mum and dad you know um them finally get themselves property uh, made an opportunity for lots of people to come in from the islands and obviously stay there until they could eventually find you know their sort of footing and get a place mm. and uh, that's where my parents died this was prior to me being born I was born in 1966 um, when I came about obviously you know we lived in East London and it's where I kind of grew up um, I saw my parents were hardworking people and they were very innovative you know my dad was a builder bricklayer and um, my mum she basically would take whatever work was available um, she had a thing called a pardon system which at that time was very difficult for West Indians coming to this country to you know get a bank account even though they had employment and you know stable jobs and uh, what she done was she put together a partnership effectively of people who each week would put a contribution of their wages and it will be a collecting circle and then all the money will be obviously you know uh, put together and one person each week or each month would receive what they called a partner draw which was a lump sum of money and that lump sum of money would usually go towards the deposit for their first house or their business or their first motor vehicle and that was a great sort of stepping stone for lots of people who were you know facing extreme racism and also obviously you know difficult um, settings in a new country so mm. then my parents were very respected people, looked at as community leaders. Um, I saw, you know, how they operated and how they, you know, went through life. Um, I was relatively quite a decent kid, I could say. It wasn't so that secondary school. I started to um, misbehave and uh, came off the tracks a little bit. Um, music was my love. I grew up around music and I was drew, drawn towards it. By the age of 15 years old, I guess the entrepreneurial spirit started to kick out in me. And uh, I started to put on my own events at that time. Uh, urban music, black music, you know, it was Love is Rock, it was reggae, stuff like that, uh, Grey Groove Soul. And we'd go into premises, um, you know, sort of do the best we could, put together a makeshift bar, charge people admission to come in and play music throughout the night. That slowly developed um, during the summer of love, as we now know it, 1987-88. I stepped into the warehouse party arena. Acid House was a new music which emerged onto the scene. Uh, Lots of people, it was a multicultural movement, and I took advantage of that situation. You know, I was drawn in as someone who loved what I saw around me. You know, the mood was light. It was beautiful. Everyone mixed. There was no colour. There was no brand. There was culture. It was a great melting pot. And mm. I started to do warehouse parties. I was very successful at that. Um, we managed to hit the boom, which was, um, you know, quite an interesting thing. And, of course, the police were very naive to what we were doing. At that time, we could get away with a lot more because 
the places we used to have our as our venues were of course were completely illegal you know there were warehouses disused warehouses and we would um cunningly you know find our way in now you know typically we would sort of look for a place a great disused warehouse we'd probably slip in now a few days before or a week before remove the padlock replace it with one of our own and uh, go in there and the, the morning of the event have it completely cleaned up and literally hit the lorries with the lights the lasers and the sands to come in now you know that afternoon and open up in the evening and you know to thousands upon thousands of people so we were hitting the police and obviously the owners of the warehouses by complete and utter surprise <laughs> and there's lots of funny stories I could probably tell you of incidents where we had many close shaves. Um, Go on, give us one of those. Then. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I can remember one particular occasion, and there were so many, believe me, when we, from going into blatantly breaking into them, we managed to eventually find someone that worked in a estate agents, commercial estate agents, and he said, look, I've got access to a few of these warehouses, and obviously over the weekends, I can slip you guys the keys for 500 quid. Well, compared to the amount of money we were making, 500 quid was a hell of a bargain, and we'd have to break any locks. We could go in with keys. And obviously deal with the consequences the following, you know, after the weekend. So... One particular venue we saw was an amazing place in the industrial state. He gave us the keys to and we moved in, uh, took our time. We were setting the place up and uh, as we were setting it up, we just finished removing all the furniture because it was actually like a regular storage, except not, you know, compartmentalised. It was one big, massive open space. And we took all the stuff in forklifts right to the back of the warehouse, pushed it all to the back. And we were just all getting ready because they sawed us on the floor to absorb any drinks, spillage, things like that. And then you'd have the lights. But luckily, the lights, the lasers, the sats hadn't come in yet. The place was completely, you know, flat and squared. And we were in the process just about to put sawdust in and started yet. So it was a blank, empty canvas now, you know. So the guys were basically messing around, kicking around the football, sort of waiting there for the sound light people to arrive. I heard like a knock at what was at the main doors now. Unsuspectedly, I walked straight to the front of the building, and then it was two massive glass doors. And to my surprise and shock, horror, if I could put it like that, I saw two fully dressed policemen and a gentleman in his perhaps late 50s wearing a flat cap with a walking stick. Anyway, I was like, wow, you know, in plain sight, plain view, couldn't run, couldn't hide. It was like, okay, gonna have to front it. So I walked out the door, had the keys, I opened the door straight away. One of the policemen put his arms on me, you know, you're arrested. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And everyone's like in a row. I said, what are you talking about? I'm arrested. This is my dad's warehouse. And the guy was like, sorry, what? And the police goes, you're under a reprise. I said, what are you breaking it? I said, here's the keys. This is my dad. He's bought this warehouse. The owner of the warehouse is with him. And he's like, hold on. Your dad's Mr. Jenkins. And of course, I'm thinking on my feet. And I said, yeah. And he's gone, he's not supposed to be in there till Monday. And I said, no, I said, he's asked me to come in. I said, and uh, straighten it all up because obviously we've got goods coming in, you know, Monday morning. He doesn't want anything, like, you know, lingering over. Anyway, the policeman looks at him. He's looked at the police and goes, let go of him. And I, the police are like, what? He said, take your hands off of him. His dad's bought the warehouse off of me. Anyway, right, I'm still winging it. So they've walked into the main area. Of course, the guys that are cleaning the warehouse up don't know that the police have obviously, you know, I've, I've tricked them at the gate. They're thinking the police are going to come and arrest them. So they've panicked and they've, you know, stood stiff. <clears throat> but they're looking in amazement because conversation that he's being had now isn't that one of someone getting arrested. Mm. So they're sort of sitting there, peeping storm, looking at, you know, wide open eyed at what's going on. So 
the guy said, look, he said, um, you know, he said, all I can say is, look, you, you know, you've come in the warehouse, he said, I wasn't expecting you in, but you tripped a silent alarm. He said, obviously, you know, we've got an alarm that goes off, goes straight to the police station if anyone obviously enters and doesn't decode the alarm. He said, uh, let me show you. So he's took me with the keys with the two policemen into a little room to the side. With that, he's opened the door, he showed me a control panel and goes, look, this is the combination to the alarm. He said, if you, you're in there working, he said, and the alarm goes off, just punch this code in. He said, and what it will do is it will just switch it off straight away from the police. He's got actually better than that. He's give me a card and he's written his number on it. He's my hand home number, he said. If at any time you have any other issue, just give me a call. He said, I'll be down to sort of give you a hand. Anyway, the policeman now looked at him in amazement and said, what do you mean this, it, you know? He said, yeah, of course, his, his dad's bought the warehouse from me. So has he legally right? said, you've got a legal right to be in here. I just wasn't expecting him so soon. Anyway, I thought, I can't believe this. But the classic thing was on the way out. He goes, do you know what he said? He said, you're such a good son, he said. He said, my son, he said, he's an absolute bum. He said, he'll probably be out tonight. One of them stupid parties, right? We had the whole night. He said, and I won't see him till Monday. And I said, I said, you know, I don't know about any, you know, you know, the father that's worked so hard to build a business, how your child couldn't <laughs> be part of it. Anyway, of course, the police have gone, he's gone. That night, you know, we brought the house down, thousands of people descended on the warehouse. The place is absolutely rocking. And, uh, you know, the place is up in, anyway. So then um, I've seen the police across the road. The same police um, sergeant standing up there. The same guy is <laughs> with the police in his dressing gown. He's been called out of bed to say he's been choked. All of them are fuming. And then um, what we had one of my partners, Wayne, you know, he was, um, as I said, very, very good, cunning character. He was a great legger. We used to usually send him out to, um, you know, front police all the time. And he made some great, you know, over the years, we've done some great ones. You know, I mean, he's gone out there and had police parking cars. On one occasion, we told him it was Channel 4, um, a launch party. We told him George Michael's video shoot. We've had police, you know, queuing up to get autographs signed, you know, really mad stuff. We really did stretch it to the, the harmless fun it was. Let's put it like that. But at and, no point um, were you guys kind of scared about getting caught or was it just oh, all a bit of fun I, games? <laughs> I think the adrenaline, to be honest, you took over everything else because what it was, once you get into a cycle of excitement like that and, you know, it's quite harmless, a harmless fun, but we were really into the scene, what it was. It was a very peaceful scene you know very fun loving and i think we were so overtaken and captured by that the playing the games with the police this cat and mouse thing was something that we'd done and we became very accustomed to it and we became incredibly good at it you know and when you think about it now it's like serious fraud because we're going to a warehouse you know i remember the saturday would consist of usually during the week driving to an estate agent randomly you know on the high street asking to look at some properties. We'd take the um, paper leaflet and then cut off the um, top of it, you know, the, um, the letterhead, sort of like Bairstow Eves or whatever the state agent is, glued it onto another piece of paper, photocopy that, and then type up a bogus lease. You know, we'd be confronting and giving this to the police as a 
telling them to bodyfied lease. And back then, of course, you know, it wasn't emails and computers weren't even around. So it was a question of paper documents. So once the paper documents looked relatively credible, <laughs> you know, if you look at them now, you'd say they're junk. There's no way that you, you could pass anything with them. But um, as I said, we did. We literally got away with murders and uh, we'd done that and we made a lot of money from it at a very young age. And we lived the life of Riley by um, anyone's standards, I should imagine. And, uh, uh, yeah, it sounds like it's a, it was a fun time for sure. I mean, it takes yeah. some guts to to blag like that, as you say. How how long did that whole warehouse scene go <coughs> on for? Well, the scene, the scene really lasted, I say, in its glory. was, I suppose, the best part of two and a half years. Not for us. Our span was probably no more than nine months. You know, we had five months of strong parties. And then the people who we started them actually with, we joined up with early stage, which was Sunrise, became Sunrise. And Tony, he continued and he had some very successful parties later on during that summer. Um, and obviously there were some which you know hit the headlines. One of them ended up the warehouse, um, the, 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 the aircraft hangar party, of course, was notoriously for, uh, hit the front page of the Sun newspaper of 8,000, you know, um, evil ecstasy, um, you know, uh, people at their heads, young people on E and, you know, all kinds of mad headlines at that time. But, you know, the Sun, I think 5 million people read the Sun newspaper every day. So it wasn't a joke. Everyone knew about it. There was no more secret. And, uh, you know, the police and authorities came on it really heavily. And it's really strange because there was a documentary I took part in a few years ago uh, for National Geographic Channel. And the chap who was put in charge by Margaret Thatcher to head that unit, a guy called Ken Tappenden, the commander of the police at that time, he actually, you know, contributes to that documentary saying that we were actually kind of evil geniuses, you know, how we done it. We had the police running around in circles. And I never forget a statement he makes in that documentary, he said the army couldn't do it, couldn't, you know, mobilise three, 4,000 people, you know, in an hour. He said, you know, the police certainly couldn't do it. They were well out, well, well out of their league, you know, and uh, we done it. We done it so simple, you know, it was done with a, with a process of a mobile phone, which those were brand Brand new at the time, having access to one of those meant that we could be in the warehouse, do it all up. Two guys or three meeting spots, which are central meeting spots, like a car park across the road to a big dog stadium, car park of a nice skating ring, and the derelict backs of a warehouse where we'd done a previous party. You know, had their guys sitting on mopeds, they had pages on them, because it was a pages at that time. When we had the location ready to go, all the cars would be sent to those meeting spots. Our friends on a moped would get a page. They would go to a phone box. They'd call the mobile phone. We'd tell them exactly where the party was. And they literally, if you've ever seen the film The Convoy, you know, uh, where we've got these truckers, a 1970s film, you know, moving through America. It was pretty much like that. So you had convoys of hundreds of cars literally behind these mopeds. So simultaneously, they'd be coming from three different directions, all descending on the warehouse at the same time. So, of course, the police, if they were onto the convoys, they'd, they'd, be, they'd be the back of the convoy. So by the time all the cars had arrived, you had this chaotic, you know, combustion of vehicles and people descending on the warehouse. The warehouse was, you know, three quarters full filled before the police could get together, you know, um, other officers from local stations and be able to put something together to basically break it up. So what it'd have to do is organically let the party fade its way out rather than, you know, descending a warehouse with 5,000, 4,000 people there. 
putting them out on the road at one in the morning, it made far more sense to let naturally sort of let them gradually fade their way through and leave of their own accord. So that was, um, yeah, how we got away with it, I think. You could never get away with stuff like that these days, but saying that young people do, I know, Facebook and Snapchat and all the other, you know, social media channels they've got, they're quite ingenious, I think, um, at putting the together events. But at the time, they were, they, were, they were great. You know, they was relatively harmless, even though ecstasy was, you know, in, 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 in use, you know, and we'd be lying if we said it, said it wasn't. The, mm. Yeah. So that so was more after I made my bones. Hmm. that's uh, you were successful in that um how did you then make the transition from the nightclub scene and then moving into the cocaine scene like how did that happen well that was i guess a gradual progression um what happened okay so we started off in a very kind of peaceful loving way and um, naturally, when you're making that kind of money and the parties you're doing illegal, you're going to get attention from people who, you know, live in that world, you know, in the underworld. Mm. And we started off basically obviously having to secure our money. So we still a very good door firm. There were some pretty strong guys. And uh, they had a lot of weight. So they were our security firm. And uh, they not only did a good job for us, but... They started to get their own ambitions, so they started to move in on clubs and other promoters, except they started to obviously operate in such a way it could be deemed as almost extortion. So that was um, one thing that was happening. I was getting attention from the police. We were move- I was moving closer to criminals, um, older organised criminals, and um, obviously with the use of ecstasy, you know, so prominent in the parties. When our parties were kind of brought to us, you know, um, sudden end because the police were aiming for us to close the stand. It seemed an obvious option that I could quite easily, with the distribution network I had and people I knew, um, with the right product, probably, you know, get heavily merged into that. And I was, you know, offered an opportunity to be involved with an uh, ecstasy syndicate, basically, who um, wanted that kind of, you know, that, 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 that gateway, that pathway into all the clubs which were emerging into all the warehouse parties. So I was able to put together a distribution network, you know, and that network obviously plunged, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of ecstasy tablets into the clubs up and down Britain. And that was how I started to get my sort of hands dirty in the um, drug game. And, you know, one thing led to another. I found myself having to, you know, lift up and go abroad. I went uh, on a route through Europe into the States and finally settled down in Jamaica where it was eventful. I, um, you know, had a, my mother's home country to me. It was like being returned uh, to my spiritual home. I was not going to describe it as because I fell in love with the island. I'd been there several times before as a child. There was some very funny stories. I could actually tell you about that as well. But yeah, I found myself there. I, um, I met someone. Uh, I had a son. Sadly, that relationship didn't work out. And sadly, she passed away um, when I was in prison. And I had also uh, met someone that I fell in love with. Um, and she happened to be a Miss Jamaica. And um, we got married and I had my second son. And, you know, we lived in Jamaica. We enjoyed the island. We enjoyed each other very much. But unfortunately, um, I couldn't help but, you know, 
find myself back into crime and it wasn't the path that you know she would want anything to do with you know she had a there's a Miss Jamaica Weld as a person that you know it's a very credible you know thing and certain things you don't want associated with that and um, I couldn't help being the person I'd become and I started to get back involved in in crime again <laughs> you know um, I've done all kinds of dodgy stuff I started opening you know um, car rental businesses I started bringing in vehicles and evading duty on those and eventually I just circumvented the um, ports you know, with strong contacts I had on the island, what I describe as extended family. And I was able to open doors into international drug smuggling. Why do you and think it was so easy to move back into it after you had left, you know? Uh, I can answer that question just straight away. It's an addiction. Uh, people believe that addiction comes from someone who consumes drugs. It doesn't happen like that. People who sell drugs who are involved in crime, it's also an addiction. So addiction to lifestyle, okay? And addiction to an adrenaline that you get from it. And, you know, this is a problem why people keep become repeat offenders and we don't look at it. We understand if someone takes drugs, they can become addicted to the drug and you have, you know, things like the pathway steps and stuff like that, AA, and, but you don't have that for people who are involved in drug smuggling. You don't have that, you know? And that's what I do with my foundation now. I try to look at those weaknesses that are in us and I try to be able to find remedies and solutions, how you can cure those, you know, those illnesses. And yeah, and that's what it was, I think. You know, I was drawn to it, the lifestyle, the excitement, and it just didn't stop. It was a continuous um, chain for me. I had a big event, basically, in my life in 2004 when I was arrested. Uh, for 100 million pounds worth of cocaine. Um, it was the biggest haul and on mainland Britain um, had ever happened. And, you know, it was a very serious situation. I was arrested with seven of my co-defendants. We were facing 35 years in prison. And it looked like the, the lights were out. It looked very, very dim. Um, and, you know, being me, being very cunning, manipulative as criminals can be, I lived on my wits and always looked for the holes, you know, where you could puncture a hole somewhere. And uh, with our situation, I'd grown considerably in that market space where we almost had ultimate power because unlike most people who chance bringing drugs into the country, we had whole teams of customs officers paid off. So we were actually clearing containers, Clark Blanche. And on this occasion... Um, it wasn't so simple. The container was cleared, but a co-defendant of mine was under surveillance by a completely independent police unit. Those officers um, had him under surveillance. They understood something through intelligence, through phone taps, whatever, that a container was in with you know products in it. They went to the wolf. They decided to search various containers which weren't cleared. They didn't discover anything there, so they decided to go into ones that had been x-rayed and cleared and discovered a huge shipment of drugs. But it was a catch-22 for them because, of course, they must have realised that the team of officers, their fellow colleagues at the Wolf, were clearly in with the scam. And um, what do they do? They either take us all down and the officers who are their colleagues, but then by doing that, they create a dog's breakfast because obviously every single person who's been arrested by those officers or drugs caught with that wolf is going to be in an appeal, which means hundreds of appeals going through the um, court of appeal. It means millions, tens of millions, if not billions of pounds being re, you know, reimbursed in compensation orders. 
and uh, it completely would throw the whole criminal justice system as you knew it up in the air, you know. So they made the decision to conclude with the officers at the wolf and effectively lay a trap for us, which the trap was, you know, pretend nothing's happened, it's all good, and we walked into it. Um, wow, that was it. The doors were locked. It was finished. My sister, you know, message he sent to someone was listen, here's it. As long as he's got an arsehole, he's never going to get ever going to get out of this. You know, the, the doors are closed. You've got a chance in hell. And as luck would have it, you know, it's like talk about a cat with nine lives and never ever estimate anyone's greed. As the, um, you know, things were starting to step up and we were looking further and further down, walking the plank. Um, one of the officers, lead officer who was on the case, who had discovered all the drugs, turned out he was incredibly corrupt. Him and a little team he worked with were taking, you know, money from organised criminals for a long period of time. And uh, he put forward an offer uh, for him, a few members of his team, for a quarter of a million pounds. They would, you know, um, steal from their um, vaults. Uh, public interest immunity documents, which were documents basically which revealed all the intelligence they held on us. And um, we've done it, you know, organised it and we've done it and um, paid those officers off to steal documents from the safes. And they done it and I uh, got them into prison, which again was another bit of an ingenious thing to do because ironically I wasn't particularly a model prisoner at that time. And um, I, a lot of the officers on the landing, you know, had disliked to me as I disliked them. So what I thought was quite amusing was I had a rule, um, I think it was rule 39 stamp made up. So since it was back then, if they had a stamp on, a, on their envelope, it was, it was protected um, legally, so you couldn't open them out. So I had someone make a stamp on the outside and every couple of days I was having these illegal documents posted into me with this stamp. And ironically, the officers were bringing them up to my door, delivering them to me, thinking it's bad news for me because they think it's all disclosure, but what actually given me are public interest immunity documents, highly sensitive every day. So I was sort of taking them with my head down, closing the door and laughing and thinking, I can't idiots have done this. It was like that. And the case, you know, it built up and it was millions of stories there. One of the stories was in that particular prison I was at, um, because again, I was a bit of a bane to the, to the officers. I, I, you know, I really was a problematic prisoner. And uh, one day came back from the gym, they'd moved my cell and they put me in a cell with a guy called Henry Freegar. And I don't know if you guys have seen um, a recent Netflix documentary called The Puppet Master, but that was the chap he'd um, basically told everyone he was an MI5 secret agent, um, number of people at university. And at the time, the IRA were obviously um, involved in a bombing campaign in mainland Britain. And he pretended he was this secret agent and you know he was you know investigating the ira and these gullible university students he took them out of there told him he was training them up to be an mi5 agents he did all kinds of stuff you know put on gloves beat them up told them they, if they got caught by the ira they'd have to withhold a beating and you know had them uh, all kinds of crazy insane the guy was a psychopath basically and um yeah i put myself with him thinking I'd break his neck, which I almost actually did. Um, but it turned out when he saw the papers, because he'd been pretending to be this MI5 top secret agent, he was actually pretty useful because he could actually tell me what, how intelligence worked because he'd been studying it. Do you know what I mean? So I understood how intelligence worked. And one thing I knew was I couldn't, no one could know about and not 
my solicitors. The only people that knew these papers existed were the um, uh, the prosecutor and the judge. So my barrister couldn't see them, my sister couldn't see them, the jury certainly couldn't see them. How was I going to, you know, get this stuff out there? Or what could I do with it? And plus, a lot of it was very incriminating as well against me. It was like, not the best, you know, um, show in the world. It was like saying I've been involved in lots of things all over the world with global cartels for how many years? But I kind of realised that, hold on, if they're so sensitive, what happens if the jury get wind of them, you know? And if they can't see them, who really knows what's on them? So when I was giving evidence that day, I decided to carry a lot of them in my jacket pocket. So when I was um, put into the, the dock, basically, to give my evidence, I decided to pull out a lot of papers from my pocket and started reading stuff. Not necessarily what I was reading was on those documents, but I was proclaiming to be very innocent um, and the documents would prove it. I then subsequently left the dock. They said I threw the papers at the judge. I sort of tried to place them on his bench. They may have come out of my hand. So he picked up his water bottle. He ran to his chambers. The guards came rushing over. They pinned me to the floor, lifted me out of the court. But in the mayhem, when the court was obviously reassembled, of course, the jury wanted to know what the papers were. What was I talking about? You know, well, I said he's innocent, of course. This was going back and forth for the judge. The judge was telling him that we can't mention those papers. So it got to a frustrating point. And I knew it was a br- the, the straw that broke the camel's back. One of those head foremen again asked, this guy said he's innocent. He was reading papers out. He's asked us to see these papers. You know, what are they? And the judge just turned and said, right, I'm sick of hearing this. He said, if I hear you... As, to the jury, if I hear this mentioned one more time, you'll be put down the holding cells with him. Oh. And it was like, wow, you just made an error. You do not tell a jury that you're going to lock them up because you were asking you a question. So the jury went out to deliberate. They came up with four not guilties and three hung juries. I was one of the hung juries. So four guys went home. That was it. Bang. We went back for second trial. The retrial, I knew it would be more difficult to do it, and I suspected they were going to put something on me, and they did. They decided to handcuff me to the dock. So I couldn't um, actually do the same trick, but I'd preempted they were going to do it. So what I'd done was I'd teed up my co-defendant and said, look, give your evidence in chief, which is to explain your evidence, how you want to lay it out. And then when you're asked to um, be cross-examined, just turn around and say, no, I'm not. I refuse to be cross-examined. And he spat out the name of the website, of course. The website was... Um, all the papers were hung on the website. We had the same situation, of course, the jury asking about the website, you know, got hundreds of downloads. It became a political incident because, of course, the website was based in Turkey. Um, obviously, the FBI police, the, um, the internet, they took out a whole server in Turkey, of course, not just that particular one, in panic because of the high court orders. So the FBI obviously intervened and it was a mad situation. But again, it threw the case into complete and utter turmoil and ended up with another hung jury. So I went free. Funny enough, one of your fellow um, um, Irishmen, Donald McIntyre, he'd actually made a documentary in real time about it because I had a mobile phone in prison and I was actually, you know, taking part in this documentary and it was a real captivating moment. It was called Cocaine and Coconuts, the actual documentary. And you can, you can actually get it on our, um, on our YouTube channel. 
And uh, yeah, you know, I was lucky enough to walk out of a 35 year potential sentence, you know, mm. and yeah, that was my first step. So did, did prison for what it was, did it change you somewhat and change the path of your life? No, made that <laughs> sentence made me worse. It made me 10 times worse. It made me feel invincible. And I had no intention of rehabilitation. In my mind, it was keep going because that's what criminals do. We're very stupid, really, we are. We um, we get a victory. And rather than us saying it's a wake-up call, <clears throat> what it does, we step up another gear and we um, excel and we go further into this dark hole, you know? And... Um, I did, you know, I excelled further. I, you know, gained a lot of assets. I moved further up the ladder. Um, age is what changes initially. I slowed down because of age. I hit my 40th birthday and thought to myself, you know, maybe I want a little bit of a settling life now. And um, I tried to sort of, I tried to change. I really did. I made attempts. And I wanted to, you know, maybe go back into the music industry. I had a successful career in now. I'd licensed the rights to Reggae Sunsplash, which was a huge uh, reggae festival, which we had a victory of about 50,000 people. I put on regular events at Hamilton Apollo, bringing in big uh, named R&B artists. I had a number of legitimate businesses. But unfortunately, with all this stuff going on, I still had the uh, vulnerability to do stuff, which was you know, not law-abiding. And I found myself in a situation that basically um, I have to blame myself for. Someone got very close to me and brought me into a situation and I went along with it. And basically I found myself um, being, you know, driving behind six kilograms of cocaine, which, um, as I said, resulted in me um, getting a conviction. And, you know, this was a conviction. I was heavily over-sentenced because obviously this is what was set for me. I was given a huge confiscation order. But then to top lot, obviously, I was made one of the highest risk prisoners in the country. It was Category A. So I remember arriving um, at this occasion at um, Wandsworth. And as I arrived at Wandsworth, I remember them pausing because where I'd been before for the large drug case. And two officers coming down from upstairs and saying, Pritchard, the Home Office has been in touch with us. You know, you're a category prisoner. You can't be held out. So I was taken to the block, which is the basement of the prison, and kept there for five days. And then someone's quickly uh, taken by escort um, and secure um, 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 escort to the uh, Belmarsh prison, where I was then left on remand. And then after my trial and sentence, I then passed through the prison system. Now, this is where my rehabilitation started. I'd come to the realisation I wasn't invincible. I'd come to the realisation that I'd done a lot in my life and what did it really amount to, you know, but death, destruction and misery. And I got it at the prison yard of Belmarsh when I saw all these young guys, day in, day out, <clears throat> you know, serving life sentences. And it was a repeat effect. It was a question of they were in there for murder and murder related to drugs and related to gangs. It was related to stuff that never ever dawned on me because I never looked at myself as a guy that played at that level. It was always, you know, oh, I played, it was affecting, you know, I'm a businessman. And the prosecutor said something during my sentencing, and I forget it, he said to the judge, he said, you know, Joanna, drugs fuel gang wars, gang wars fuel murders. This man is responsible for hundreds of murders, all right? 
And I thought, this guy's insane. What is he talking about? You know? And it wasn't until it hit me and I saw all these young people, you know, day in, day out. And I thought, something's got to change. And what it was, the pattern, the pattern was real simple because they were coming in, the bell was constantly going because as they arrived in the prison, they were attacking each other because out of fear, because most of them were related to postcodes. Postcode gangs are something that came about heavily just at the turn of the millennium in this country where kids on local estates um, would, you know, create a gang and that gang would, you know, basically stay locked tight to that particular postcode and you would have different postcodes in every single area so you had hundreds of postcodes springing up all in conflict with each other problem being obviously you know it's bad business isn't it because if you're selling drugs you know you can't move from that area it's not a very good business model it's a business model for death and destruction and misery and effectively i thought to myself you know what the drugs i'd be responsible for bringing into the country over all those years had built something like this, you know, a, a death and destruction. I looked at it, most of the kids were Afro-Caribbean descent. And, you know, my mother was one of the first generation West Indians to come out. She struggled hard, but everything's good for her people to progress. And, you know, I thought to myself, you know, for their children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, they will be turned, they will be turning their graves. They saw what it had come to and what, destruction and misery and um you know killing of each other and i thought to myself it has to stop it has to stop so i went to the governor um i was a listener at the time and said look these incidents with the postcode gang things i really believe if you give me an opportunity i can do something that can start to make a difference and another prisoner i know who was a very well known prisoner he'd escaped um in a, in a, in a um, shooting an officer, basically, when there was escape from prison, um, an armed robber. He also was serving time there, and he felt the same sort of way as me. And we, you know, we said, okay, let's see what we could do. So we managed to get her out. She eventually agreed to let us, you know, sort of have a free reign. We managed to put together a series of mentors, guys who were serving on sentences, who were still related to the streets, and effectively, you know. Um, Sorry, Oops, sorry, I lost you. Hello. No worries. Yes, yeah, sorry, I lost you there for a second. Yeah, no problem. And effectively, you know, I thought to myself, um, you know, um, we get these, you know, these guys in. They're big into their sentences. They've got lived experience. These guys, if we teach them how to mediate, they can do it. So, uh, I've been doing a little bit of stuff before. Uh, created a charity and a, a studio, and uh, my friend who was doing that, he came in and managed to uh, teach them basic models of, you know, how to identify your own problems first, because all these guys themselves hadn't dealt with their issues. So before they could be mentoring and teaching how to address their behavior patterns, and we'd done a short course, basically. The program was called The One Postcode. My friend Clifford, he came up with the name of it, to accumulate all the postcodes were collectively one. And we introduced it into the prison, and it had remarkable results um, over three months. Assaults and such things went down over 87% in Belmarsh Prison. All the mediations with the gangs, you know, who had got involved in the mediation stuff had, 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 had been maintained. And it was a success by, you know, any measure. And I thought to myself, you know, this potentially is something that can be done. And during my sentence, I progressed through the category A's to category B's, category D's, category D prisons. 
I've always been involved in businesses. I've probably owned and invested in maybe up to 250 businesses in my business lifetime, you know? So I've always looked at opportunities in business, legal and illegal. And I thought the third sector is something I've never got into. And my aim when I'm released from prison eventually is, it's where I'm going to go because I believe I can fix problems. Uh, I, can, I can find solutions to problems that are so blatantly in your face, people have overlooked them. And, um, you know, I set about doing it. Three months, well, not three months, two weeks after my final release from prison, I formed the CIC. I called it the AP Foundation and started to mill away at writing courses and looking for opportunities to bring these to bring these opportunities into the criminal justice system, but not only the criminal justice system, you know, into the communities. And that was it. We came up with something called a five-step pathway, which is based on intervention, rehabilitation, training, employment and housing, because I believe that those are the five steps that, Intervention stops kids before they get involved. Rehabilitation, if you're in prison, you need to change. <clears throat> the most important thing you need is training, some skill sets of what you can do. If you're employed, you've got employment, you know, if you're coming out of prison or if you're just up and down on the street, it gives you a circle of people to mix with. It gives you money, you can buy stuff. And if you've got stable accommodation, you know, you've got roof over your head. And with those things, I believe that's the key to rehabilitation. So I set about pursuing that. And um, where I went with it is obviously a very, very difficult time. It's been an incredibly difficult three years. But finally, you know, we've seen the light. Uh, we've been working with Serco. And I can tell you now it's been announced. We're one of Serco's main uh, rehabilitation providers for a new prison, which is being opened called uh, Fossey Way, which was the old Glen Parver. It's a young offenders and adult prison. Um, it's a 300 million pounds contract over 10 years of Serco. Um, and as I said, you know, it's a massive step for the foundation. We've also been invited back, strangely enough, into Whitemore Prison, where I was an actual prisoner, uh, to help with them. These prisons are now changing. They're becoming what they call long-term and high security. So people, young people are going in now, straight from Aylesbury, who are doing incredibly long sentences. And those young people basically, you know, have got little hope. So we'd be going in there, hopefully giving them directions, how they can, you know, navigate their way through their sentences. And, you know, various other prisons have been approaching us constantly. We've got a contract with Westminster Council. We've been working in local youth clubs up and down that borough and uh, going into the schools and trying to get, you know, young kids being aware of this. There's an definitive project we're working on at the moment to raise funds for a bus which we're going to take into the communities and have a virtual reality uh, prison cell actually in there so young people can put on a VR headset and actually feel you know how horrible it is to be in prison so that happens to experience it you can actually walk in there and know is this a place I want to spend you know parts of my life no so you know we've, it's all about rehabilitation and I've just been really gearing towards that I knew music was very important to me in my life. Had I just continued on the path of being a concert promoter, um, I would don't know where that would have excelled to, you know, but I know what I had, you know, the brands I controlled were huge, you know, and it would have been a situation of having a multi-corporate company such as Live Nation, but it's never too late. Um, I'm involved this year in the Metfest Festival, which is 6th of August. 
and that's largely 20,000 this year. We're going to be taking on a number of young people through the foundation who are going to get um, experienced in the music industry, um, you know, how to work live on set. And we're trying to open up as many job opportunities as possible. I run an entrepreneur um, course, basically to London, which is free. And it allows young people to get opportunity to look at businesses, how they can make them work. We look at their ideas. We try to help develop them ideas for them. We're plugging it into a fund where, you know, if the ideas are good, we try to shepherd them, maybe give them seed money to get those businesses going and kind of guide them along. And just basically try to change the mindset completely because kids who go out and sell drugs, generally they want to be entrepreneurs. And um, this is the thing. If you give them something to do and set them up for the business, you know, pathway and teach them the skills they need, the chances are to succeed. But you've got to understand it's a treacherous pathway. And what I've been ringing the bell and let people know about is it's cruel world out there. It's not like when I was around, you know, we kind of, we were criminals, but there was a limit. You know, if a 15-year-old guy came up and said he wanted a gun as a bigger criminal, you'd slap him across the back of the head and say, go away. But, you know, there's kids as only 11 years old carrying guns. You know, there's kids, there are people target chicken shots, you know, as simple as that may sound. A kid can, you know, be in a family, the mother, father can't really afford, you know, the child gets his free school dinners, that's good, but his friends go to the chicken shop every day. You know, people that sit out there, you know, say, look, here, here's five pounds, go and get some fox chicken. And they'll do that for, you know, they'll do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Next week, they'll do it again, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then the kid thinks he's a friend. It's not a friend because two weeks later, he says, where's my 50 pounds? Mm. He can't go and tell his parents. He just took 50 pounds for a stranger. Then he suddenly has to hold something, you know, that I think could be some drugs with a gun, runs an errand, he's in, you know, and then he gets a pair of trainers, you know, and thinks it's great because that pair of trainers, his parents can't afford to buy him, but somebody believes to be his friend is that person, but it comes at a price. Next thing he's out there doing this, doing that, and before he knows it, he's in prison for 30 years or he's dead. Mm-hmm. And I want to champion the companies like, you know, the Nikes, the Adidas, the people who make trains, but who make tracks and season. This stuff's being used to groom kids, you know. These are rewards and tokens by people. You know, give me that, give me that stuff. Let me put that stuff on the bus. Let's take that to the estates. Let's give the opportunity to these kids to do these courses that we're doing, take them out of this pathway. And as a reward, let's give them a pair of trucks, give them a tracksuit. Because people on the road ain't gonna be giving them Rolex, Rolex watches, because that's mm. the only thing they can give them. Mm. And that's not gonna happen. So if it's down to a pair of trains or a tracksuit. You know, that's, that's affordable, that's achievable. And if that's going to save a kid's life and change their destiny, you know, I'm going to do that all day long. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Andrew, you know, just as someone who was um, in the high up in, in uh, drugs and the drug trade, uh, I wonder um, how you feel about decriminalizing or, and this war on drugs that's obviously you know very flawed um you know where do you fall down on that argument well to be honest you i believe it's not a simple argument okay if you've lost a relative you know or a loved one to drugs whether it be a dispute with guns you know addiction uh, overdose you'll feel very bitter about something like this um so what i'll say is this there are certain drugs I believe have great medical benefits to those, okay? And I believe cannabis will be legalized. Um, it's a question of when, not a question of, uh, of if. <clears throat> as soon as the government realize how they're gonna tax it, and they'll do it or replacing it basically with the revenue they're making from cigarettes, because they're slowly but surely trying to phase that addiction out. 
But I think the benefits, in terms of medical benefits, and we're only starting to discover this stuff, you know, um, from herbal cannabis is going to be, you know, coming to the limelight, come to the light very, very soon, if not, it already is. And a lot of countries already, you know, have legalised it. And I think it can build economies in third world countries and give farmers a fair trade that they can grow it as a crop and not have to fear. No, they'll get the same price they would for coffee or any other commodity. And they won't be into the jaunches of people who, you know, who are, are organised criminals. You won't be in a situation here Whereas, you know, you're buying something that you you think you're buying. It may not be what you're buying. It's something you, you know, get from over a counter because it is regulated. And the more research we spend and we do on this stuff, the more we'll find out about it, okay? But more importantly, with the taxes, the more stuff we can do to heal people because it's all about healing. If someone has an addiction, don't necessarily look at the drug, look at the person because they they need something in their lives. And we don't heal people. This is a problem with us. We just put it down to, oh, that person's a junkie or that person's alcoholic. Something triggers that effect, okay? So if we can look at that and say, if we take the money and not all drugs maybe should be legalized, okay? You know, cocaine is a harmful um, drug in its purities because obviously what's mixed, it's mixed with paraffin, it's mixed with petrol, it's mixed with cement. It's got some terrible stuff in it. And I know people, you know, cartels that put cuts in there, which are blatantly, you know, so dangerous to the body. They give you cancer and people are putting that in their nose. They've been staying to their brain. So, you know, you've got ruthless people in the game and it's how the game's played. But if you can look at it, cocoa leaf was actually mis- you know, it's a it's a it's a spiritual plant in Colombia and Bolivia. Do you see what I mean? It has its benefits. So all the plants that God put on earth, everyone's got a benefit. We just have to be, you know, open our eyes and start to look in where are the benefits in there. And maybe let's take it out because we look at the bad things from those plants. If we're able to look at them in a chemical scientific approach, I think we'll find a lot of cures, a lot of illness elements. Mm. But we need to be able to heal people first and the society we live in, sadly, isn't a very forgiving one. Mm. You know, we want to always blame. We want to punish. Prisons aren't a place for um, rehabilitation or a place for punishment, you know. And what you've got to understand is when you send someone to prison and they lose contact with their family, everything, you know, they get everything taken away. That's your, that is the punishment, okay? You've been sent there. You've lost it all. Now rehabilitate that person. Don't beat them further into submission that when they come out, they in a situation they have to go and do more crime to try to think they get themselves back on their feet because they're rejected from society and rebel from everything. Try to teach them, learn them, give them skills. Let everyone be a relatively equal level playing field when they are released. You know, get them working from prison and on rottles. There are so many spaces and gaps that need to be filled and we need more mentors. You know, we're crying out for things to change in communities. People that leave prison with lived experience are the best mentors you can get. If they can be properly taught and given the skill set, they should be put to work in the community. In the greatest respect to the government, very difficult task you have is challenging, especially if you're in prison yourself. And you wouldn't have been to prison because you're a minister in government. You should maybe listen to some people who've got this experience hmm. and have genuinely changed because a lot of people haven't changed. They say they've changed. And a lot of people jump on this bandwagon. It's easy to run down the road, say we're a mentor or you've rehabilitated but you know not all have just you know let's get the air of the government let's get the air of people who actually want things to change we want to see kids to stop killing each other senselessly on the roads mm. 
if you want to be in a society where people are equal, <coughs> not so judgmental, you know, and everyone's entitled to have a roof over their head. Everyone's entitled to have food on the table, you know. Every child allowed, should have an opportunity and everybody in this world should be able to say, I believe, I dream, you know, I've got a passion and say, well, what is your passion? Tell me your passion. Mad as it may sound, what is your passion? If you want to be a racing driver, great. You want to, we can try going that route. But guess what? If it doesn't work out, maybe that kid's passion is working in an automobile sales shop or a, or, a, or, a, or, a, you know, or a body repair shop. It mm. could be something in that sector. You know, We send people to treat a kid's tools a car. We send them to prison. Why don't we just stop and go, hold on, he's stolen the car. He's fascinated with cars. Take him to court. What are you giving? Three months? Okay, this is the deal. That guy who's got the car showroom, or that guy who's got the little mechanic shop, who's struggling to make any money, let's take the money that you're going to give to send him to prison and to have to keep him in, you know, in prison, right? Give part of that money to that guy who's struggling with his business, and he's that kid's mentor, okay, in that body shop. So his business is going to survive. That kid's getting some money because he's got employment now. He's learned the bloody skill. If that kid now wants to mess up and do what he's done before, goes back to prison. He goes back to court. gets a harsh sentence, but he's been given the opportunity first. You send them to prison. They mix with kids who are worse than them. They learn a new set of skills in crime. They come out as a revolving door. Okay. These are simple solutions, okay, to everyday problems we keep ignoring. And, you know, to me, it's like, when will it stop, you know? Unless we take on, you know, new ways of training our minds, new thoughts, you know, we, the problems that we, we, we keep having will just keep going round and round and round. So, Dopey Foundation, as I said, I set that up with the aims and ambitions to make a difference. You know, it was a legacy project for me. Both my parents died. They were great, you know, community leaders. And I didn't want in their memory, you know, to think I'm the guy that destroyed communities that they tried so hard with nothing to build, you know. So it's a process of giving back for me, mm. you know. And as I said, if it's meant to be, God will bless it. If it's not, he won't. Andrew Pritchard, um, it's been fascinating uh, hearing from you and best of luck with the foundation and trying to improve the lives of kids who grow up in these estates and grow up in the streets and get involved in this. But um, it's great to see you um, trying to help and, and give back. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Um, if people were looking for more information of, uh, for the AP Foundation, where should they go? Yeah, so you can go to our website, which is www.apfoundation.co.uk. But I'd encourage you to follow our Instagram and our Facebook and also our YouTube channel, which is APF uh, TV. Um, that's YouTube. But also I've got my own um, channels as well, which I'm going to be building now also, which is going to be Andrew Pritchard uh, YouTube and also Andrew Pritchard um, Instagram, just because, as you kind of guessed it, I'm quite politically outspoken sometimes. And um, what I don't want to do at any point is, sort of, you know, um, put my charity in any compromising situations. So, yeah, so I have obviously my chariot by voice, which is the AP Foundation, but also I have my voice, which is Andrew Pritchard. So I'll be 
you know, building that up over the next year. Andrew, thanks a million for, for talking to us. Thank you. You're listening to the Room 104 Podcast. FM 104. It's Room 104. That was Hold Me While You Wait from the good old Louis Capaldi. Yes, bringing us to the end of the show. That's it, Kev. Yes, what did you make of our guest? I reckon, wow. (laughs) A life and a half has been lived there. And I say this all the time because I still get so surprised when I hear about people that have been through so much. And then at the end of it, you know, they're they're able to live normal, fulfilled lives. Forget about the past (laughs) and just moving on as if it never happened. You know, it's good to see that he has um, the AP Foundation now where he's continuing to do some good work out there. But it's still it's still quite a life. 20 years of that. You can imagine it must change someone, you know, but he seems to be well adjusted. Yeah. And I guess he feels he has something to atone for and is giving back to the community and to people uh, and to people who get involved in that world so um, yeah I mean interesting guy Fair play to him anyway and as he said you can check out his foundation on Twitter Instagram Facebook wherever you like It's all out there Yeah AP Foundation Right that's it from us we're back tomorrow and it'll be Tuesday Oh my god the week is flying already Yeah Don't forget to stay <laughs> tuned in six hours time for the lads on the Strawberry Alarm Clock uh, Jim Jim and Nobby will be back bright and early until we see you again Goodbye Bye Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.